What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 77th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Hello, Matt. It's a Monday afternoon. You have an iced coffee. Uh, is it from Tim Hortons? It is. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Yeah, my, um, You're not giving a fuck s- today. <laughs> um my uh my mother has been um visiting us every day because uh my dad is renovating their new home right now i don't know if they moved they probably moved out after the last episode so yeah my parents no longer live in my childhood home um and it's been like a while since we didn't since we did this Um, but yeah, anyways, my mom uh, has been coming each morning to hang out at our house because she doesn't want to be there while the house gets renovated. So, um, she stopped at Tim Hortons on the way in today. Did I ask for two large iced coffees and a breakfast sandwich? Uh, sure did. Cause I am out of uh, cold brew right now. I usually make it at home, but so that's why I'm resorting to this shit, but I put oat milk in it. I put vanilla oat milk in it. So I'm still a fancy boy. And I'm drinking Tim Hortons iced coffee. Well, you know what they say, you can polish a turd, Matt, but yeah. Yeah, it still tastes like shit. Um, Yeah, it's um, Tim Hortons iced coffee, not great, Um, but it gets the job done. I need that jolt of caffeine in the afternoon, and I could have made a hot coffee in our Keurig, uh, which I did for the first time. Like in, I haven't had a hot coffee in ages. I'm strictly on an iced coffee diet, Eric. And I had a hot coffee. Actually, that time you accidentally brought us iced. Or no, I, I wanted an iced latte and you brought me a hot latte and I had two sips and of it. why did I bring and, you a hot latte? Because I fucked it up okay. and told you the wrong thing. Just make that clear. Um, and then uh, I had two sips of it and I didn't drink any more of it. And then I made a hot coffee in the curry last night. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Let's get, it's especially to the fall now, it's getting, right? Yes, exactly. It's getting a little colder. Um, so I haven't turned the heat on in my new house yet. So I just was like, you know what? I'll have a hot coffee last night playing some board games. And it was, it was good. Cause I was fucking exhausted yesterday, but how you doing, man? Good. I'm good. It's weird when you put, when you say hot coffee, it's, it's just a weird, like way to describe well, because like, the base form of coffee to me is iced coffee right right no i and i get that because we're both iced coffee guys but like it is funny when you say hot coffee because it's like usually it's just implied that coffee is hot right so it's like when you say hot coffee it's like what is this new form of beverage yeah exactly um but yeah man it's been a, a, a hot minute since we uh recorded this bad boy we um uh, I think it was over a month ago. Our last episode was right before um, we embarked uh, on an adventure of my living room uh, to watch, you know, 20 to 30 films. Uh, we watched, I think, 22 that we reviewed. And then you watched a few more on top of that um, films at the Toronto International Film Festival this year. So this episode will be kind of our festival wrap up, I guess, as well as, you know, covering the plethora of, uh, you know, movies that got delayed and all the news and trailers we missed over the last month or so so um if you guys didn't know this is the untitled movie podcast uh each week eric and i kind of get together shoot the shit talk about 
you know, iced coffee, uh, what's going on in our lives and what's going on in the entertainment industry. Um, if you like this nonsense, we have some more stuff where we're slightly more professional. Uh, one where we're slightly more professional, one where I, I'd like to think we are more professional. Uh, Untitled Movie Reviews is our review show. Uh, you can go get that on any podcast service, your podcast service of choice, where Eric and I uh, review new release films, whether they're on streaming services, uh, coming out in theaters, which not much is right now, or uh, festivals like we did with our TIFF coverage and our Cinefest Subbury coverage. So please go check it that out. Uh, and then the show where we are actually professional is Untitled Movie Conversations uh, because we we let someone else into the circle of trust and we interview them. So we uh, try to be, you know, uh, we try to behave ourselves and act like professionals. Um, that doesn't always happen. Do we? But our, I mean, kind of. Uh, we interviewed uh, Jay Wadley, who is the composer of... Uh, Netflix's uh, I'm thinking of ending things uh, the Charlie Kaufman uh, directed thriller over there he does a wonderful score we had a great conversation with him uh, we recorded that right before TIFF so please go check out Untitled Movie Conversations I know there's only three episodes up right now uh, Eric and I are working on the schedule for that show um, trying to figure out now that you know TIFF is over and, and we're getting into you know the fall and winter how we can kind of space out that show and get some more guests for you guys but some cool people may be coming up uh, but keep your eyes uh, on that channel for those but yes Eric we just uh, finished up TIFF a couple weeks ago um, do you have that regular post TIFF fatigue a little bit but I think it's just kind of that you know, fall fatigue in general, right? You know, the, the, the changing of the weather, the, the time of year where you get a little burnt out after those two weeks of TIFF, even though they weren't the same and sort of, you know, going from one theater to another or a theater to a press junket or, you know, in between a movie, you know, cramming down some sort of junk food or um, snack in between or getting something to drink to keep you going. This was more of a, you know, still eat shitty like Arby's and Popeye's (laughs) Popeyes. chicken. But at the same time, we were more leisurely, you know, in between screenings you know at was watching the majority of them at your place um you know with with a nice kind of big screen tv and surround sound system was uh was a benefit and then also on top of that it was just nice to kind of pace yourself a little bit more in between them and sort of let the movie before kind of you know savor that a little bit and enjoy it for what it was. And and even if it wasn't a great film, it kind of gave you a little bit of room just to kind of decompress. And I think that was important. But yeah, I mean, you still kind of get that no matter what, because you see, you know, between those 10 days, you see what, like 30 odd movies. And then, you know, if it was a regular year, it would be you know, 50 in total. And that includes stuff that you usually see at the end of August. So, um, yeah, I have it a little bit. I I know you've been kind of, you know, feeling that as well a little bit. So, yeah, I, I kind of echo that statement where I enjoyed this year. It was obviously very strange, um, experiencing TIFF, you know, from my living room. Uh, we never skipped an ad. We watched every ad. So you kind of have the full, tiff experience of you know when you went to public shows but um yeah it was uh it was interesting i mean i thought uh shout out to the entire team over there at 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 tiff because i felt like uh given the circumstances they ran a uh 
almost flawless festival for what it was. Um, the digital platform uh, was quite good. Um, the streaming quality was uh, fairly solid. I didn't notice anything, you know, horrendous like we do watching stuff on, you know, Crave or or something like that. Like the sound in the picture was uh, the only time that I had an issue with with the sound was watching David Burns' uh, American Utopia, just because I felt like the sound mix. Maybe it was my my sound bar, but I I, I just felt like it kind of drowned out some of the vocals and stuff. But um, for the most part, I thought you know the streaming quality was great, the presentation was great. Um, I had a you know the convenience of just like you said, you could come over at three in the afternoon. Uh, but we could still squeeze in three, three, four movies if we really wanted to, right? So where before, when you're getting up at you know six, seven a.m., getting to the cinema because there's an eight a.m. screening, and then jumping around to you know two different theaters at Scotiabank, then running over to Elgin, and I'm not complaining. I I actually did miss that, but it was kind of nice to okay, especially this year, you know, just go okay. Um, I also thinking about it now i'm like it makes me miss the festival too right and it was a staple but now it'll i think you said this during one of our conversations eric where you're like the next one's gonna feel really special when we eventually get back to it right because it'll be so long in between them that maybe it's good it's like what we talk about of like you don't want to go overboard and it's not saying you know the festival once a year is is overboard but um when we talk about how many star Wars movies and it doesn't feel special anymore or, you know, X, Y, Z, like when you have a big gap in between them, I think the next one's going to feel super special. And, uh, the quality of the films, um, I thought, you know, we saw some great stuff. I mean, like we said, you guys can check out, you know, we did individual reviews this year for every single film that we saw at the festival. Uh, at least the ones that we saw together, Eric did see a few more that I didn't see, uh, which you can talk about on this show. Um, uh, and yeah, I just, if you want, I don't care. I forget what the other things are (laughs) to be honest. So you guys can check out all of our reviews. We don't necessarily need to, you know, I think we can talk about, you know, maybe our top fives or something like that, Eric, if you want, or, um, something like that. But yeah, overall, I thought it was a, a, you know, it was still tiff, you know, there's a handful of stuff that I really thought was great. Uh, another handful of things that I thought were pretty good. And then a handful of stuff, uh, I didn't really care for. Um, and that's how tiff usually goes every year. So, I mean, even though we were doing it at home, it still was the festival and, um, I thought it was a success ultimately. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think it's it, overall like it, it ran pretty smoothly. I would say like the worst part of TIFF this year was the award show if you watched uh, uh, that. Oh, but, right. um, but again, that's not anything that you need to watch or is, is you know, mandatory viewing. But um, yeah, like everything kind of ran pretty smoothly overall from, you know, watching stuff at home and, you know, having that window of opportunity i i will say maybe they could have been a little bit more um forward with what was going on with the father because i know with some people that window was much more limited and they should have maybe kind of advertised that a little bit more because which is an issue we had at the sudbury cinefest as well yeah uh, with another sony pictures classic movie um we were supposed to see nine, nine days. days yeah and um I guess it said in the fine print when we first rented it that it would only have a three hour window um, or two and a half hour window. I think it was. Um, But 
I we to I I totally missed that, and uh, they didn't send a reminder email or anything, and then we just missed our window on that, which is uh, uh, kind of a bummer. And yeah, the same thing happened at TIFF. At least TIFF sent out a reminder beforehand. But, yeah. Um. Still. Um. Do you want to go into just kind of top fives and and or I don't know. You can talk about whatever you'd like. Yeah. Um, no. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll bring up my uh, letterbox uh, top fives just now. Yeah, I can I can go through mine and then um, I'll, I'll go through some honorable mentions. Uh, no particular order here, but uh, violation uh, pieces of a woman. Uh, I care a lot. Um, uh, New order. Uh, One night in Miami. Um, Shadow in the cloud. I would all give kind of like honorable mentions to, which would be you know basically my six to eleven, and then um, my top five. One is a short film which we didn't actually. Um, review because uh, i thought i'd just talk about it on the show but the um the archivists um uh is a short film that uh we saw uh right before the festival it was our first festival film uh by igor um draka i think um sorry igor if i messed up your name but uh, a fantastic little short in this kind of um you know post-apocalyptic kind of um area of this group of travelers that go around trying to preserve and archive, you know, history and music, especially. So, um, it, it's a great little 14 minute short. They go into this abandoned house, um, and they find some stuff there and I don't want to give too much away, but there's a great music sequence and, uh, it's all shot on a uh, 16 millimeter film. Um, it looks fantastic. Um, and I just, I, I really, really, really dug it and it stuck with me throughout the whole festival. And I think it's the first time at TIFF in a long time where I've had a short in my, you know, top five things that I've seen. Um, I really loved, uh, the Vinterberg movie, uh, another round with Mads Mikkelsen. That would have been my number four, um, about a, uh, four high school teachers that end up, uh, you know, writing a paper on, or using the excuse of writing a educational paper on the effects of your blood alcohol level and how, men specifically are born with their alcohol blood alcohol level too low so they try to get it up to 0.05 i believe yeah at the start uh because that's where they think it should and then that'll make you more um uh, you know more uh, uh productive like, but also productive relaxed and, and yes, more eat, and, and and present that side of you that it's basically a midlife crisis in a bottle yes yeah, perfect. Uh, but I thought it has a fantastic Mads Mikkelsen performance. And um, uh, I, I'm not quite sure what the movie was trying to say exactly, but I really enjoyed myself watching it. Uh, the Father, uh, a movie that I think uh, you referenced earlier when we were talking. But um, uh, yeah, when we were talking about the Sony Pictures Classics um, windows. But uh, Florian Zeller directed movie about uh, a man who's suffering from uh, dementia and, and Alzheimer's, played by Anthony Hopkins. Um, just uh, check out a review. It, it's a really fantastically done you know adaptation of a stage play. Um, I think uh, uses it's very cinematic in the way that it adapts that stage play and puts you in, you know, in the headspace of someone who's suffering, um, with a disease like this. Uh, I thought it was super, super excellent. Um, actually our second film, like, uh, again, a lot of these stuck around, uh, Shiva baby, um, was my number two, uh, was, I think the first 
movie we watched, like the first feature we watched, was yeah. it or second? Yeah, it, first it was, second. It's one of the first ones, anyways. Um, on the first day of the festival, but a um a small um indie comedy single location kind of thing about a woman who is uh just finished up you know school and trying to figure out what she wants to do for the rest of her life and just the anxiety about attending kind of a a gathering uh this being a shiva being like a funeral uh a pub uh awake awake awake. um and just the kind of anxiety of being there and experiencing you know having to talk to all these other people and being questioned about things and in addition to um, who is there yeah maybe a little bit awkward yes it's it's a horror comedy it is a horror comedy and I just thought it has a great like horror score and it's just very, very funny. Um, I thought it was excellent. Uh, Emma Seligman uh, directed that based on a short she did, I think, that played at TIFF Next Wave um, yeah. uh, previously. And then uh, my number one uh, is Chloe Zhao's um, Nomadland and uh, I thought it was excellent. Uh, again, check out our review. Uh, but Frances McDormand just a, a, a very very wonderful um subtle performance uh just kind of amazing cinematography and skies and just poetic and meandering but in all the best ways so uh nomad lands that movie that kind of has stuck with me and i've wanted to revisit ever since we uh saw it at the festival so those are my top five yeah that's that's a good list um i'll i'll quickly run through some honorable mentions uh so so this would be i guess 10 through 6 um beans which is a uh coming of age um indigenous film uh about the 90s um sort of conflict between uh in 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 montreal and quebec um wolf walkers which we did a review for shiva baby violation and one night in miami uh my number five is another round which we've already talked about uh my number four is 76 days which takes place in a wuhan uh, red cross hospital during the first 76 days of the pandemic and the covid19 outbreak it's a fly on the wall sort of um procedural that really isn't you know, a talking heads doc and you get to see kind of the ins and outs of, you know, how the medical staff are working sort of around the clock tirelessly to help as many patients as possible. Um, It's devastating at times. It's emotional at times. There are moments in this movie um, that are still sticking with me, even after having watched the film and sort of how, you know, people, whether they be doctors or nurses have to kind of, break the bad news to other family members that somebody has passed or, you know, give back some of their, um, you know, their belongings and, and, and tell them, you know, we did the best we could and, and, you know, what that kind of response is like. Um, it's a very powerful, well-made movie that is not an, uh, an easy watch because of what is going on now. And it, it might feel a little too real and a little too raw and it might kind of, you know, hit a nerve that is, you know, cause we're, we're still in this and, and, you know, we're not kind of beyond it yet. So I can understand somebody being a little bit hesitant. I was even going into it, but, um, it's such a well-made documentary and a very powerful piece of filmmaking. And one that I think will be really interesting to watch, you know, in, in five years from now or 10 years from now, when we do 
uh, get over the uh, the pandemic. Uh, the father, as you mentioned, I think Sir Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman are excellent in that movie. Um, and it's just a film that could have been your standard, you know, Oscar prestigious movie, but it's doing so much more with the material and the structure of, of the film to kind of get you in the mindset of uh, Anthony Hopkins character. Uh, number two is the movie that we were uh, the most kind of divided by, which is David Burns, American Utopia. Uh, yeah, I love the go music. Listen to that review. It's a, it's a fun review. I love the music. I, I, I loved Spike Lee's direction of the stage play. Um, I think it's uh, one that is, it was one of the movies where I did feel that like if I saw this at TIFF, I would have even loved it more. And I kind of felt that like right. having that sort of communal experience would have even made me maybe like it more than my number one movie. But my- So you didn't have to sit beside someone who was just hated every second. Yeah, because you can it. feel that. You can feel the hatred coming <laughs> out of sorry. every pore of your body. But but I'm but sorry. no, 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 no. If you didn't like it, you didn't like the movie. It's just that when you're sitting next to somebody and you know that they're not they're not into it, like you can kind of you, you can feel that a little bit. And I was like, oh no, Matt does not like this. Um and then my number one is also Nomad Land. I think Chloe Zhao's film is um an incredible piece of filmmaking and another movie that would have been amazing to watch on the big screen just for the magic hour shots, but yeah. Um, still an incredible piece of filmmaking. Francis McDormand is is excellent. Um, and again, just a very lived in movie that kind of isn't telling you what to think or how to think, but just kind of observational and letting you kind of be in the moment with, you know, this kind of subculture. So it's, um, wh- yeah, one of the best movies of the year, I think. We're on the same page on that one, at least. Um, yeah, so please go check out um, our, you know, all of our reviews uh, are up on Untitled Movie Reviews uh, for TIFF. So everything we discussed here and much, much more, both the good and the bad and everything in between over there. Uh, I didn't plug what else we got going on on that channel, but on Untitled Movie Reviews right now, we have reviews up for Dick Johnson is Dead, Possessor, Console Wars, My Salinger Year, Undine. Anola Holmes, Kajillionaire, and The Nest. That's just some of the more recent stuff that we've done uh, after the festival. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we got stuff coming soon uh, like Black Bear, The 40-Year-Old Version, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Charm City Kings, as well as uh, things like uh, Borat, Subsequent Film, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, uh, and other things that are coming out in October. So head over to Untitled Movie Reviews, and you can get you know all our full thoughts on you know those top five films for uh eric and i as well as all those honorable mentions and more uh eric what else you've been watching man you've been in doc city right i have been in doc city and uh i'm still in doc city for um awards consideration with the critics choice documentary uh award nominees so my categories are um directing narration and uh feature directorial debut um and so i've been probably i've probably watched now about like 50 odd movies um but i still have like another like 55 to go at least um before i feel like i will have made a dent in it um of those movies i think the one that um a lot of people will be talking about when it comes out on amazon prime 
this October, uh, I think it's the 23rd, uh, is uh, Garrett's subsequent film. Yes, very nice. <laughs> uh, is Garrett Bradley's uh, Time, which is a movie that deals with the um, right. prison industrial complex on a microcosm with a uh, couple who in the 90s, in a moment of desperation, tried to uh, rob a bank and were both arrested and sentenced to jail time. Um, the woman in this situation, she was um, released after serving, I, I believe it's five years, and her husband was basically given a life sentence for this crime. And you see her trying to appeal it. It's all shot in black and white. Um, it uses a lot of archival footage of her from the 90s because she's raising uh, their children alone. And you kind of see how, you know, she's been struggling to, to raise her kids and then goes from that to, you know, becoming very successful as a car dealership uh, owner and never giving up on her husband and doing the best she can. And the movie itself never um, sort of makes light or tries to sweep under the rug what they did, because even, you know, this, this subject says that like, I was wrong and it was a moment of, of weakness in that, you know, like I should have paid for it, but like, what is the price to pay for, for something like that? And it, it's very similar to, or it reminded me of the idea, like, you know, in, in the eighties, if somebody was, you know, arrested for marijuana possession, you know, during the war on drugs era, and they got, you know, a, a sentence that was 15 years to life for, for just possession of marijuana. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, they're, she's kind of going through right now and trying to get her husband out. And it's a very powerful, well-made documentary and it's not even, you know, an hour and a half long and it's so streamlined of, of, of consciousness and such a powerful love story as well. So um, I would highly recommend checking that one out when cool. you said Amazon prime. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, October twenty third, I believe. Um, so around the should time, we re- that- should we review it for the show? I or? would be down to review it. I mean, if you if you want to check it out, it's 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 really really well done. Um, I've been in, uh, you know, this year I've probably watched more documentaries than. I mean, mind you, again, we reviewed Console Wars, Dick Johnson is Dead, two very recent ones. But even if you look in my, I thought Eric, you'd be very proud in my top, you know, twenty five of the year. There's like four or five documentaries and and my number one film of the year so far i think is a documentary so uh dick johnson is dead everyone should go watch it and listen to our review yeah and i i'm excited to see this too yeah and that was one of the movies as well that i i had to watch for um awards consideration which i will definitely be championing for uh voiceover narration and um uh, best directing for Kirsten Johnson specifically for yeah. Johnson is dead. Um, something that we can, I, we can both talk about actually two movies um, are both tremors and joyride. So yeah. We, oh yeah. Joyride. I didn't put it on here. Yeah. It, was it not in my, Oh, cause we watched it pre TIFF, right? No, we watched it at TIFF or during TIFF because remember during we watched TIFF? it at uh, oh, Mike. Oh, right. Did I not log it on letterbox? I think you did. Or I just, or I just missed it. Cause it was in the middle of all my TIFF stuff. We, That's how I remember what movies I've watched. We watched it after The Waterman. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I have Joyride here. It was it was right before Antebellum. I got it. Yeah, Joyride and Tremors. Joyride I had seen before. Tremors, first time watch. Yes. And how was that watch for you, Matt? Uh, it was great. It's fun. It's a blast. I mean, I love that exact style of movie. You know, um, I uh, 
uh, like you said, the kind of Jaws imitation, mon- like creature feature, kind of monster movie, small town kind of thing. Like I miss those style of movies and those movies just all have kind of a, a vibe to them that I totally fuck with. And I, I'm surprised that I, I hadn't seen Tremors before. And yeah, I liked every second of it. It was a blast. Yeah. Like, and, and, and Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward are, are an awesome uh, duo. They have amazing chemistry on screen together. And there's a weirdness to Tremors that I kind of dig as well, because like, it's an adventure movie. It's a horror film. Like there's a scene that shouldn't work that does where they're pole vaulting from one rock to another. Yeah. And you hear this almost like Alan Silvestri esque score playing where it's like very kind of, jaunty and like adventure-esque and you're kind of like what is this score and then the filmmaking itself is interesting as well because it's got a style that isn't dissimilar to something that sam raimi did with you know the evil dead movies where the camera is you know doing these kind of like oblique kind of like quick movements every time you know one of the graboids you know is is, like a pov kind of shot yeah yeah or like that kind of like fast forward fast motion editing where like things are kind of kinetic and moving quickly um or like these they look like they're sped up and i kind of dig that as well and it's just an easy movie to watch and kind of just enjoy and a a cool hangout movie and it's weird that that has become this like vod um franchise over the year we went down a rabbit hole after and watched the trailers for tremors two through seven or whatever the seven is coming out this month yeah and and yeah and michael uh gross who plays bert is has become the lead yeah in all of them and it's just bizarre and like we were talking about like the different forms of uh graboids as they mutate as well because there's one called an ass blaster which is i thought you were joking in part three no i'm not joking um and then also in part one uh we we should mention oshawa has a cameo in (laughs) right shout out there'll be two oshawa references uh on the what you've been watching 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 um yeah, in Tremors, we were there. We were sitting there and we're watching it. And as they're jumping out of the convenience store, um, there was a scene earlier where I'm like, I saw Asha. And I was like, did that? Am I like, I thought I was just because I moved back to Oshawa, uh, like, when nevis and i got a house with my sister i think i talked about all this on my on that a couple episodes ago um but i'm back in oshawa now so i'm like am i just seeing things because we're watching this in oshawa now that um i'm like okay so i let it go and then there's a a clearer shot of when they're jumping out of a window and clearly on the side of the the uh convenience store it's like oshawa lager beer or whatever and i was like the hell i'm like i was like that's just very weird that i had never seen tremors you were over at my place in oshawa and then i noticed this thing and i was starting to look up i'm like okay was oshawa like a name of something else before which is why it was in this and i'm like trying to do research on the origin of the name oshawa and i couldn't find anything really i didn't try that hard but it was just a funny kind of thing that i tweeted out and um the other oshawa reference is the boys obviously parkwood shows up in the boys because they're shooting near toronto (laughs) so in the most recent episode of the boys i was like oh it's parkwood i'm always like seeing that pop up everywhere so um and it's always just weird that you know that iconic mansion that's in you know uh uh happy gil not happy gilmore billy madison the tuxedo uh, tuxedo, uh, x-men um so it's just kind of always fun seeing it pop up because you forget that so many like gigantic tv shows and movies shoot in oshawa once in a while and i just sometimes it goes through my head where i'm like 
that person stepped foot in Oshawa or like whatever person was in XYZ movie. And you're like, that's just so interesting. And then that was my Oshawa shout out. But yeah, Tremors is a blast, man. <laughs> and so is Joyride. I think Joyride is is a really fun kind of lean, mean thriller in the way that Unhinged wanted to wish be. There, yeah, um, was. And it just, it weirdly made me, um, you know, melancholy for paul walker in a way too because like yeah. he's kind of fun steve zahn is a lot of fun in the role of, the, of these two kind of brothers who hit the road and you know pull a practical joke on a, a truck driver who's voiced by uh ted levine karen yeah. uh yeah. and just kind of where that goes and and i just kind of there's that subgenre of thriller horror movie that you know movies like the hitcher um and road games in this where they're just kind of really fun B movies and they kind of have a bit of adrenaline to them. And I think overall joyride, I mean, it's also co-written and produced by JJ Abrams and was one of uh, his first productions with bad robot. That's not, um, you know, sci-fi or, or, you know, I'd love for him to go back and do something like that again. Yeah, I would too. I mean, like, I guess the closest thing to that would be something like overlord, I guess, to a certain degree, which wasn't based on a franchise or anything like that. And I had kind of the, the, the genre spirit, but like something that's maybe a little bit more grounded and a little bit more like, kind of like a traditional horror film or action movie that's maybe you know late 90s early 2000s uh definitely a lot of 2000s music in uh joyride as well as cargo pants so yeah you know (laughs) i mean cargo pants are making a comeback i think um yeah i i echo everything you said about joyride like i i feel like it actually has some restraint unlike unhinged where unhinged just is like totally fucking stupid and ridiculous and just obscene and like on the nose where i weirdly joyride um i like that you never really see the truck driver you only hear his voice and like and there's a mystery to it right and like i like just that back and forth with them on the cb radio and that it's still very mean and nasty but like it's uh, like there's that scene where you see the the guy with his jaw ripped off in the hospital or whatever, right? And yeah. it's like that stuff where it's just a quick shot of something and it's jarring and it's and it's more sadistic and 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 more angry than anything and unhinged. And I just feel like there's some style to Joyride that makes it a lot of fun. And and like you said, the camaraderie between the two brothers, the the chemistry between you know Zahn and and Walker, I think is a blast. And um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen Joyride in ages but i always like these random ass movies you're like let's watch this yeah (laughs) i'm like all right cool um we went over to our friend mike Munz's house and um that's usually when we put on some random you know 80s 90s 2000 thriller or something like that um you also speaking of random movies uh you watched a couple other random things well this would actually tail in perfectly to your watching of the boys because both doom and ghost ship uh, feature or star Carl yeah. Urban. Um, so Ghost Ship, I'll talk about first because I feel like that I'll put a little bit more effort in. Um, Scream Factory released a collector's edition of Ghost Ship, um, and they have been releasing 
um, a lot of the Dark Castle movies are reissuing them as collector's editions with new features and uh, commentaries and things like that. And they're actually not bad. Like, I mean, even the, the, the movie, the movie itself is not great, but um, it's interesting that, you know, Stephen Beck, who directed both 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship, um, you know, like going from from kind of one genre, you know, remake movie to a film that is an original idea. Although I always thought Ghost Ship was a remake of um, of Death Ship, the film with George Kennedy, um, but it's not. Uh, the opening sequence is the best part of that film, and it is interesting as well in the behind the scenes sort of. Um, there's a documentary feature, or just like a little kind of talking head interview with one of the producers, and they were talking about, um, you know, we're gonna okay, we're gonna make Ghost Ship, but there are two things we don't want. We don't want to shoot on an actual ship and we don't want to shoot at sea. So, or with actual ghosts or with actual ghosts. <laughs> so they, they shot the film in Australia and that's why a lot of the cast and crew are from the area. Um, but they shot it in like this field somewhere at night and they built this like ship. ship. Yeah. This cruise <laughs> ship or like the kind of the base of a cruise ship. And with it as well, they had like, um, like a like a thin layer of water that would reflect off of glass to kind of create that like image of of you know being on the water reflecting inside the ship when they needed to and I thought that was kind of uh interesting overall but yeah the movie itself is kind of it's it's not great but I I weirdly I don't want to say nostalgia for it but I do miss the dark castle movies because they came out of so the guys who kind of started dark castle were the same people who did or worked on, um, tales from the crypt, uh, the HBO series, Robert Zemeckis and, and, and those guys. And so, you know, the idea of making these kind of movies, I guess Blumhouse now is basically what that that, is, but, but I, I think both the, um, house on haunted Hill, which was one of their first and, House of Wax, those two remakes are actually quite solid. And I know House of Wax gets a bad rap because of, you know, it being kind of a gimmick because Paris Hilton was cast in the movie, but it's a pretty solid um, little genre movie and really nasty, but all, in all the right ways. Um, and the same thing with House on Haunted Hill. And it's weird because like House on Haunted Hill and uh, 13 Ghosts have a very similar structure where like they have like an opening, cold opening that'll kind of connect to the story and then they hire like a comedian in kind of not a dramatic role but in a role that is a little bit more sort of like nuanced or or at least kind of like the character has been tortured by you know their um you know their employer or the event so both matthew lillard and chris Catan in those movies are like guys that are kind of like you know, they know there's something wrong or something going on and they don't want to be in this situation, but they're kind of put in it and they have no choice to, but to kind of help the people that are in it. So it, that kind of stuff I think is interesting. And, and again, like I, I, I think Dark Castle is still around, but it's not the same as it was. I think the last movie that they released or had any kind of big part of, or at least was a major uh, theatrical release was splice, which they picked up at um, Sundance and Guillermo del Toro was an executive producer on that. And then doom was one of those movies where, so like the last couple of days I've been trying to watch. Suburbicon. Oh, yo. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. 
See, see, there is a movie that has like like the Dark Castle title doesn't really have the same meaning to. Um, and then before that was Getaway. Oh, with Ethan Hawke and Selena yeah. Gomez and John Voight's the villain on the phone. So they've done some stuff in the you know 2010s. They did uh, weirdly the Losers, but I wouldn't put that in that. They did Unknown. They got into kind of like you know that action movie yeah. territory well jean-claude Farah was kind of like the big name to come out of that because he's the guy who directed uh house of wax and unknown and then kind of went on to have that career with liam neeson and is now kind of considered the vulgar auteur filmmaker right and then their next release is simon barrett's seance oh is- so that's the guy who wrote uh you're next and uh the guest Yes. So, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, but there was a time when Warner Brothers was releasing those films in the Rock early two, in the early 2000s and it's like you kind of knew what you were getting, but every once in a while you would get uh House on Haunted Hill or House of Wax uh remake that was actually better than what your expectations were going into the movie. Um and and again, I think Scream Factory has been has been doing a really great job of you know, adding special features to make you kind of want to buy them. Now, will they release fear.com? I don't know because that's on Amazon prime right now. So that's usually a tip off to what is getting a Blu-ray release. And I don't think that film's ever gotten a Blu-ray release. And that is the worst of, of all those dark castle movies. Yeah. I just dark castle has always stuck with me because I think we were like, you know, the perfect age between, you know, 10, we were, I was 10 when House on Haunted Hill came out. You know, I was 12 when 13 Ghosts came out, 13 when Ghost Ship came out. So it was all those movies you'd sneak into at famous players in Oshawa or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, they were the classic our, Friday night fright flick, yeah, right? And, and, yeah. and you would go and kind of hang out with a group of friends or go with, you know, a, a brother or something and you would just kind of like enjoy it and kind of not be scared by it, but kind of you know, look for kind of something that was a little bit more like thrilling and, and fun and kind of just easily disposable. And that's kind of what those movies. Oh God. Yeah. That (laughs) is terrible. That's also really bad. I remember, I think that played at TIFF actually too, but that was back in 2003. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it was an interesting label. And, and, and I think that like, I would I wouldn't be against it coming back either because I, I do think uh, you know there's a couple of them that are really solid little movies. Yeah, you know I have fond memories of them and I would like to revisit them too because like House, I haven't seen House on Haunted Hill in ages. Ghost Ship I just that first scene is iconic to me. Um, Thirteen Ghosts I just remember the the poster or you know DVD cover at Blockbuster all the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, standing out because it's a great poster. Um, and then, yeah, House of Wax. I just, uh, again, speaking of my friend Mike Muntz, um, uh, I remember watching that at his place when, you know, I was 16 or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. And that, yeah, that is Colette Sarah who directed that, right? Yeah. And so he would probably be the the biggest name in, in those movies to kind of go on to have a a great career, but um, yeah, overall. And then, and then I went into this weird, like weekend of watching sort of genre movies or things that were on Netflix that I'd either seen before or hadn't. I also watched some stuff on shutter. So, um, you know, continuing on the Carl urban train, I uh, watched rewatched doom because it was just, it was there. It was just like, literally I was surfing on uh, yeah. scrolling through, what Netflix had Someone held a first person gun to your head and, and said, watch it. 
Yeah, and I was like, you know what? I'll watch this Aliens knockoff again because it's been a while and it's still horrible. It's still really, really bad. I appreciate that it is trying to kind of adopt some of the first person shooter stuff in there. There is one sequence near the end of the movie that has the first person perspective, um, which I think is probably the most interesting aspect of the film. But other than that, I mean, like it is just a derivative aliens knockoff with, you know, the rock in a role that is kind of like a twist on his kind of persona as, as a movie star um, and, and Carl Urban kind of doing his thing, but it's a good cast for what it is too. I mean, Mike is also in it. Um, Richard Brake, who's a really uh, great character actor, who's best known as Joe Chill and um, uh, Joseph Chills in uh, Batman Begins. Right, right, um, right. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it in ages, probably since it came out, but I remember thinking it was horrible then. So. Yeah, and then I also watched Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid, which, again, was a movie that I just kind of stumbled upon. I saw that in theaters. I remember my dad took me to that, and he was really excited for the movie. Um, and we were watch. I remember we were watching it then, and we were like, what is going on? Um, and it's a far cry from Anaconda. Uh, not enough John Void, unfortunately, in part two, or none of all, none at all in, in part two. Baby bird. Um, on my end, uh, I guess I'll start with the boys. Yeah, speaking of Carl Urban, um, I've been loving the boys. Uh, episode seven was last week. Uh, I think I talked a little bit about it when the season first started. Um, when on our last episode about, you know, over a month ago, but, uh, it's wrapping up the season. Um, I think it's great. I think it's a, a, a great meta superhero, you know, uh, drama and, uh, their spin on, you know, the justice league and how it would be corrupted and, and fucked up in, in today's society and the real world, I think is really interesting. And, um, and I think it handles kind of the hyper violence and the, and the stuff that can maybe come across as a little, you know, juvenile at times or is just handled in like a kind of interesting and actually very twisted way. And I, I just, uh, and each episode I, I haven't been on, I haven't watched a series in a while where I was just like, Oh fuck. Like every episode going, what the hell? Um, so yeah, I'm having a blast watching the boys. I'm excited to, I don't want to give anything away. I really do think that you guys should, um, should watch it. And, um, uh, season finale is this Thursday, so I'm pretty pumped for that. But yeah, all shot in Toronto too, so it's kind of fun to see the different locations that they shoot in. If you're from around this area, they use the Roy Thompson Hall as the you know main headquarters for Vought. And I thought it's it's interesting showing on Amazon, and the and the series also has some you know commentary on you know big corporations and how they own everything, and and Vought has. Vaughtland and uh, Vaught uh, Studios, and uh, there's a great uh, jab at Zack Snyder a bunch of times and Joss Whedon because there's like fake movies within the movies, and they're all based on the Justice League, right? So they kind of poke fun at all that. Um, and just imagine if Superman was the biggest piece of shit you've ever seen in your life, like the most evil piece of shit, and that's kind of Homelander is such a good character and is just so twisted and uh yeah roy thompson hall you see uh god oshawa i mentioned with parkwood 
Um, I think they were at the side of the light box um, at, at one point. It's just kind of fun to see those things. It's just a little meta game in itself when you're watching it. Um, and then also I've been watching, what the hell else have I been watching? Oh, Long Way Up is my new obsession right now. Uh, Apple TV Plus uh, documentary series, uh, the third in a trilogy of uh, travel uh, vlogs, I guess is, is the easiest way. Travel um, diaries from uh, Ewan McGregor and and Charlie Borman um, on this version of. So they did Long Way Round, where they did a trip entirely around the world on motorcycles. Uh, they did Long Way Down, where they started, I believe, in uh, the you know tip of Europe and went all the way down to the most southern point, and then. Uh, they're doing long way up where they start at this most Southern tip of, um, of South America and go all the way up to Los Angeles. And they're doing it on electric motorcycles this time, which I thought was really interesting. So, uh, it's been Nevis and I's, uh, obsession. I can talk about episodes one to five right now, but I'll just kind of, um, a high level. I think it's, it's super, super entertaining. And, um, uh, makes you see a lot of the world that you've probably haven't really seen from and, and humanizes it in a way where it's just kind of cool to be humanizes both you and McGregor, I think, cause I just know him as the actor and I've never watched any of these documentary shows that he's kind of done. Um, and it's kind of just fun. And he s- seems like a really down to earth, like chill guy, Charlie, his friendship with Charlie Borman is, is really charming. I didn't realize they were in a film together and that's how they kind of became friends. And they just have this love for motorcycles and traveling and, um, seeing the troubles that they have with trying to do this journey on electric motorcycles where they only get a charge of, you know, just over a hundred miles on their motorcycles. And they, when they're very South at the beginning, all the, the, uh, the temperatures play into it. Cause it's so fucking freezing where they are, where the bike batteries aren't working. And they also have two electric trucks and just the money that Apple threw at them for this is insane, which I think is really impressive because they got custom made Harley Davidson motorcycles, which I know Harley Harley Davidson gets a lot of, you know, publicity out of it. So they don't mind kind of, you know, building custom motorcycles for you and McGregor to go across the world. Um, but then they also got this company called Rivian to build them like prototype pickup trucks that were fully electric that they drove across with them because with their camera crew and all their gear. And then they had like a Rivian technician and Harley Davidson technician, like travel with them throughout the entire thing. And just like they bought a bus at one point and like, it's just, it's, it's really, it's kind of just cool to see them go and on this super long road trip and just the interactions they have in each village and how, um, each place that they visit and how down to earth kind of everyone is. And, um, and, and just kind of how kind everyone is to them and just see these different parts of the world. And, um, it's just the perfect kind of chill show. I, uh, I wanted right now, mind you, they do do that kind of classic television thing. I'm not a super big fan of where, because it's a week to week show, um, they do those kind of like bullshitty cliffhangers at the end, like where they're like, Oh no, no, no. And like, look like someone's about to get in like a motorcycle accident. And then you come back and everything's totally fine. The next right. episode. And you're like, come on guys. Like, I hate that shit. I'm like, don't. I, and you kind of can see the editing and, and how they put the things together sometimes where each episode starts with a description of the entire, like exactly what they're doing. And I'm like, why did you include this on every episode? Who is just randomly jumping into episode five or whatever i'm like i don't need an explanation of who everyone is and what the journey is on every single one you could have done 
something more productive, like a previously on long way up or show me kind of what they did the last episode. So I'm caught up rather than we started at this and uh, we're going to be traveling with Jimmy, the cameraman and this, this, every episode started with that. And I'm like, all right, guys, let's get this going. But right. uh, I don't know if you've seen any of long way round or long way um, down, but no, um, I haven't. And I, I, I honestly thought it was the when you were first telling me about it before you mentioned Ewan McGregor. I thought it was the Norman Reedus show that that one where he also like takes no, a motorbike no, around no, the no, world no, no. and was like, "Oh, um, no, no, thank you." Um, <laughs> no offense to Norman Reedus, but I like Ewan McGregor a little bit more as a personality than Norman Reedus. So um, I think it's super charming. They just have a great friendship, and they it's it's cool to just see them like get into some jams and while they try to plan out as much as they can there's some times where they just drive up to someone's house and they're just like can we charge our bike here and then people will give them lunch or cook them lunch and and like sometimes he gets recognized and sometimes he doesn't and um they go up to someone and just like they're because they were an off season when they first started the journey because it was colder in some of these places some of the hotels are uh, like little bed and breakfast if that's what you want to call them like that they stopped at weren't even open and they were just like can we just stay here anyway and they were like i, I guess you're you and mcgregor i'm not gonna say no right and they just like but he's very like chill about everything or at least the edit shows that he's very chill about everything where he's just like no no i can sleep on you know the ground or i'll sleep on this bed that has no sheets we'll just use our sleeping bags and it's kind of cool see you you can tell he really has a passion for this that he just really loves doing these motorcycle journeys where he's kind of roughing it the entire time and they stay at you know when they get to bigger cities they stay at big hotels and stuff like that but um but for the most part like they're in remote places like they're going through the desert at some points and just seeing them go through all these different weather changes and on the bikes and and charlie who had a bad motorcycle accident like pretty close to the shooting of this show where he fucked up both of his knees and had to get rehab and like and this was his like comeback to riding motorcycles and seeing a guy who you know you really you really love riding motorcycles if you've been in multiple motorcycle accidents where you you were totally fucked up and and it's just kind of nerve-wracking with him too right because some of this terrain that they're going through up mountains through the desert things like that like um, is kind of uh, anxiety driven at times, but I highly suggest it. It's one of the best things I've seen on Apple TV Plus, and it's made me want to go. They vote. They also have the original two series, which I think aired on the BBC, um, but they're all on Apple TV Plus right now. It and dude in 4K Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, like it looks so good. And they have this cameraman traveling with them the whole time, who's getting drone shots and he's recording everything. They have helmet cams and stuff. And it's just really, really well done. And you can tell that Apple was just like, yeah, have as much money as you want and do whatever you want. But um, it's really, really good. I highly suggest it if you just want like a very easygoing kind of fun adventure kind of show. And Ewan McGregor's great. Nice. Yeah. I always wonder like, cause you, I, I think you were talking to me a little bit about it as well. Like, you know, like, his celebrity also can be a bit of a a downfall but it is kind of funny where you know like in a situation where you're in need of something it's like you go to somebody's house and it's like hi can i you know borrow this or do you mind if if, if you can give me a hand with something and it's like yes you and mcgregor i'll <laughs> yeah. help you yeah and i think a lot of the times people 
probably didn't recognize him in some of the more remote places that they were. And he like, they knew that they're shooting this documentary because they had cameras and stuff like that. Even if it's just a guy with, you know, a DSLR or something um, or whatever he was shooting with. But um, yeah, I think sometimes it was like, Oh yes. Or they would explain being like, Hey, this, this man is a, a, a movie star. <laughs> like, can you please like help us out? We'll pay you handsomely. I'm sure they paid everyone handsomely, but we have that yeah, Apple money. <laughs> yeah exactly apple's just like yeah tell like they literally would just spend money on the like uh like or when they were at borders and stuff like that it was interesting seeing all the border crossings and the different issues that they had and stuff like that like because they go in and out of the countries um all the time but yeah highly suggested it, it, it's a blast so episodes one through five are out on um apple tv plus now and then it's weekly going into mid-november i think um I also watched uh, episode one of the Comey rule, um, which is the Showtime show that's streaming on Crave here in Canada right now. Um, Very slick. Um, uh, I like it. I'm I'm only I'm very I haven't even really gotten into it yet. Like Trump's not even part of it yet. They just talk about you know, Hillary Clinton and the Trump campaign in that first episode. And um, it's interesting watching a fictional kind of retelling of something that was so recent and uh, where you've seen all these people on TV or, you know, it's not like, you know, there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief or I can kind of lose myself into stuff that's, you know, before my time or something like that. Right. Even though they're playing like iconic people, it's I'm not as familiar with it maybe. So I'm kind of okay when, you know, X, Y, Z plays whoever where this, where you have, you know, Jeff Daniels playing James Comey and, and, and you have, it's a very star studded cast and it's, it's kind of distracting when you have, you know, wh- whoever come in and play this person that you, that you very clearly know how they speak and how they, uh, how they talk and things like that. And, um, I'm enjoying it. I just, uh, I'll probably watch, I think it's only four episodes and uh, I'll, I'll finish it. Like I've watched the first one now, but, um, I think like Joe Latrugio pops up at one point. It's just going to be as very Jeff hard to, as who sessions. Yeah. So I, I haven't got there yet, but, um, I'm curious. I just think maybe it's a little too slick or maybe it's too star studded. If that makes sense. Now, is it better or worse than the first presidential debate? Yeah, we could talk about that. Oh um, man. <laughs> yeah, what, a, what a shit show that was. Did you watch it? I sure did. I sure yeah. did. Now here's the to. deal. And then every other second Trump will interrupt uh, Joe Biden. But uh, yeah, what, what a shit show. <laughs> Yeah, an absolute shit show. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, we don't need to go any more into that. Trump also, I think he's leaving. He just left the hospital seven minutes ago, so or supposed to. Oh, he'll said be six, back. Six thirty p.m. They said he was leaving. Uh, it's uh, see, that's the thing with with him. You know, announcing that he has COVID. That either it's a hoax. And he's just doing this to say like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, it's not what anybody is saying it is. I, I'm tremendous. I was able to get over it in just two days. Look at me. 
and, and you yeah. know that kind of thing. Or he's so stubborn that he's leaving three days in when he probably needs more treatment. Right, right. I mean, like it's how long is that going to take to truly recover? Right, because you know that's that's something like a regular flu. You know, is is a couple of weeks, a month. You know, so something like that is is extremely draining. I could only imagine, right? And you know, like he's at an age where um, he's more susceptible to, you know, complications. So, you know. Yeah. Who knows, man? Uh, I do want to give a shout out. Kingsley Ben Adir plays Barack Obama and he kind of crushes it. Oh, I from kinda, uh, One Night in Miami. He yeah, played Malcolm Wonder- X, right? Yes. So I thought he, uh, he crushed it as Barack Obama in the first episode. It's just a, a quick scene, but he's uh, uh, perfect for that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how the rest of it plays out. I just, uh, uh, maybe a little too slick, uh, quickly I'll go through, uh, we already talked about tremors. Uh, I rewatched Borat because Borat subsequent film is coming out in a couple weeks. Um, I think Borat's incredible. I just love, um, I don't know how he's going to get away with, doing a second movie or how he did get away with doing a second movie already. Um, and I'm just curious to see the style of humor that's going to be in it. Cause like, while it was only what it was 2008, Six. right? Six. Wow. 14 years ago. Um, I, I just don't, even though 14 years ago, doesn't seem like that. 2006 doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but some of the humor in there, I'm like, Holy fuck. I don't know how he, <laughs> He did this and it's just it's very funny very crude um uh very not pc but um but also just i i love the absurdity of that character and the juxtaposition between you know the absurdity of you know the united states of america and just showing you like yeah here i'm gonna put this character that's kind of poking fun you know at Kazakhstan culture, but really it's poking fun at uh, the United States and it, it is a caricature and it's when it's played against real things in the United States, it's just kind of a funny kind of, uh, you know, cross examination of American culture and how ridiculous they are. Yeah. How gullible some people yeah. can be and unfortunately uneducated when it comes to believing certain things and and the people that are in power that believe it too like that's the like even um you know on his show on on uh showtime the um what is america America? um that's a show where like you look at like the people that he's talking to who should know better or at least kind of be a little bit wise to his act don't really kind of you know clue into the situation and buy that you know He's this persona that that he's created, and Sasha Baron Cohen's one of those guys that I think is probably one of the smartest individuals working in film and comedy. And you know, like his stuff can be abrasive and awkward and uncomfortable to watch, but at the same time, it's also extremely funny and biting. And some of the shit that he gets away with is just incredible. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So it, it definitely holds up. Like I thought, I laughed thoroughly throughout Borat and um it made me uh I'm very much looking forward to watching the second one in a couple of weeks so uh, we'll talk about the trailer in a few minutes uh and then I watched The Conjuring uh last night with Nevis and Sarah uh the boys at, over at kind of funny are doing The Conjuring in review 
Um, so I decided, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I've only really seen the conjuring and Annabelle creation. Yeah. Which is the second one. Right. Mm. I think those are the only two conjuring movies I've seen. Uh, and I haven't seen, and I hadn't seen conjuring two. I haven't seen the first Annabelle. Although I, I think I might've seen the first Annabelle because I watched the trailer yesterday after we watched conjuring. And I was like, I remember that opening sequence. So I think I might've seen it and just erased it from my memory. Well, no, Um, the opening sequence is in Annabelle creation. Oh, that's probably where I saw it then. Okay. Yep. So I have not seen the first Annabelle. Um, so I'm going to go through and watch them, I think. Although Nevis, after watching The Conjuring last night, uh, is like, I don't know if I want to watch the rest of them. Not because she didn't enjoy it. Uh, she just doesn't love spooky movies, but I convinced her to watch um, Conjuring. Um, I still like The Conjuring. Uh, I don't think it's a great movie by any means. I um, I actually think the first half is way more effective than the second half. Um, once the creatures or the the demons start you know revealing themselves i feel like just people running um, at you like that's the thing that really and you know it's it's someone in makeup like i watched it with my sister and she said the same thing she's just like coming from a theater and an acting background and if you've seen enough of these things once you see the monster's face which is just people in makeup and they're just kind of making faces and and running towards you i feel like it's infinitely less creepy than some of the atmospheric stuff in the first uh you know hour or so of the movie which i actually think is kind of effective and you got when i think it's way more effective when nothing happens rather than when shit actually happens so um the build-up to it is scarier than to the actual thing and um I, i still enjoy it i think it's you know it's effective for what it is um but I think it kind of loses steam towards the end and becomes not really scary at all. So does it still clap though? Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, I snapped. Didn't clap because I didn't feel like raising my other hand. Um, so I enjoyed it. I, I've never seen Conjuring 2 and the rest of them. Uh, Wait I've until heard, you get to the nun. <laughs> oh, I've heard it's great. Yeah. Um, I will see. I don't have any context for the nun because the nun is in the second one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I have no idea. Um, I've heard Annabelle Comes Home some people like. It's the best. It's the second best film after The Conjuring. I think with James Wan in general, and even with the Insidious movies, uh, I I think like he's one of those guys that can set a really kind of creepy mood and, and atmosphere, but then he just can't help himself with like throwing all these kind of vaudevillian-esque ghouls and demons at you that when they are revealed as you mentioned they're not really that scary and what he's relying heavily on is you know loud sounds and people sort of just oh God, running at you so abrasive in yeah. the conjuring like it's so in your face and then yeah. also the warrens themselves like in real life i mean if you believe in spirits and ghosts and things like that that's fine but they were in in my opinion anyways con artists so you know like to make them the heroes of the conjuring universe it's just it's it's kind of not i wouldn't even say icky it's just it's kind of like it's it's a very hard tight rope to walk in sort of making them sort of like you know the 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 good guys in in this kind of universe because in real life i mean they were you know taking advantage of people and you know making money off of this and like you know they weren't 
as noble as the movies, you know, make them out to be. So, oh yeah, the movies play up that it was actually real rather than playing them as con artists, right? So, I yeah. guess you take well, you I take mean, it their is called his- the conjuring, right? Yeah, the they con- really, juring. yeah, they take their history as fact instead of you know, and how it all connects as well. Like that's the other thing that I find almost laughable is like when you when you go through the series and when you get to the nun and how they connect it all back to the first movie. No, I won't. I won't. But, but how they do it, it's just like, it's some of the worst retconning I've seen in recent memory, but it's also fascinating because, you know, speaking of dark castle and kind of going back to that conversation, like the conjuring universe has been more successful overall than, um, Oh, and you'll have to watch The Curse of La Leona as well. Yeah, um, it's just tangentially tied to it. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's interesting how that series, this series has kind of become that a little bit and be has become the Dark Castle kind of series now. And also how it beat something like the Dark Universe, you know? Yeah, <laughs> or even the DC Universe for a while. It was like Warner Brothers' biggest successful like successful shared universe for a while. Yeah. Um, there probably still is. So yeah, I'm going to make my way through those. Um, probably watch Annabelle in the next couple of days and I'll report back. Oh, you're uh, not going to have fun. I'm telling you. Right. Uh, anything you wanted to touch on from your watch list before we move on? Yes. Yeah, so quickly. Uh, um, I've been watching some shutter stuff. I watched uh host, which is under 60 minutes automatic one star bump and basically it's one of those on-screen unfriended uh type movies oh, you watched that i did want to watch yeah this. it's yeah. not bad it's not bad it's it's not a great movie it's it's very much limited to its sort of structure like unfriended is or or searching to a certain degree but what works here is that it's a zoom conversation um with a, a group of young girls and one guy who's kind of weirdly like i i would be interested to see a backstory of like his friendship with them uh named teddy um and they all decide to do this seance and the seance goes horribly wrong as you would expect and things start happening and it, it gets really creepy really quickly and how you know this movie was made uh during covid and they use that as well and a lot of it is uh in camera practical effects and they kind of Rob Savage is the guy who directed the movie and he got like a free picture deal from Blumhouse with this. And you could tell like there was a lot of like improv, but also they didn't tell the actors, the other actors, what was going to necessarily happen. So the reactions were shot in real time and looked more genuine in terms of how they react to certain things. Um, But it is creepy and it does work to a certain degree. I, I think these movies are just kind of, you know, they, they can only do so much with being, you know, sort of shot on or, or sort of displayed on a Zoom sort of conference. So, you know, you take that for what it is in terms of how certain suspensions of disbelief are kind of played out to kind of move one character to a certain scene or how, you know, certain things play out. But for what it is, it's good and it doesn't overstay its welcome. And then I watched... um the Beach House, which is basically this um, body horror movie that takes place in Massachusetts, and it's about a fog that infects this young couple and an older couple staying at a summer house, and how it slowly, you know, 
mutates their bodies and you know like there are um weird worm-like creatures that are coming out of them it's not a great film but i think the practical effects and the the actual body horror is quite good um it just takes some time to kind of get to that stuff so uh yeah that's what i've been watching on shutter so far Nice. Okay, go into, uh, I mean, staying at home, um, even though we're all staying at home, or you should be. Uh, go into what's on Blu-ray and 4K. I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Yeah, so I will uh, quickly talk about, speaking of uh, body horror, uh, David Cronenberg Shivers was released on Blu-ray uh, through uh, Vestron Video Lionsgate's um, new company that they they uh vestron video being the the old vhs studio from the 70s up to the early 90s that would release a lot of you know home video stuff and and um usually genre related so they've had um about 10 or so titles ranging from movies like uh the gate to parents and you know more recently now with uh little monsters and shivers and this is one of david cronenberg's early films it's a creature feature that you know has inspired movies like night of the creeps and james gunn's uh slither and it's about kind of a parasitic creature that takes over the body and uses its host as kind of a vessel to um, do its bidding and how it sort of um, basically takes some blood and helps the body if it's uh, an ailing body. And um, I remember the first time I watched the movie, it's, it's a fairly, you know, small budget kind of film and, and, and it's very modest within its means, but the horror element of spreading this kind of disease, this parasite um, is really, really fascinating. And I think it's really worth uh, checking out. And we were talking about uh, Brendan Cronenberg with Possessor Uncut. You know, this is a, a good kind of early Cronenberg movie to kind of, you know, kickstart the Halloween movie watching season. So I would definitely recommend that. Uh, there's the Hitchcock Classic Collection on 4K with movies like Psycho in Rear Window, which are fantastic. And last but not least, Martin Scorsese's Shutter Island also has a 4K release, which is a non-steelbook version for those who do not like steelbooks. AKA you. Yes. Um, over on digital, uh, the Goonies in 4K, $10. Mad Max Fury Road in 4K for $8, which also comes with the Black and Chrome edition. Uh, Live Die Repeat, um, Edge of Tomorrow, which is the original title, uh, in 4K for $10. Alien, which uh, we referenced earlier in the show <laughs> when Eric's talking about Doom, uh, is in 4K for $10. And Tropic Thunder, I think, was $10. It might even have been cheaper, but I bought Tropic Thunder in 4K for $10 because I would like to rewatch Tropic Thunder. Uh, Eric, some trailers. I don't know if this is all we missed over the last month, but, um, well, we didn't talk about Dune, but we can talk about that more with the news segment. The news. I think, yeah, yeah, I guess we can talk about both. So, um, when it comes to trailers, uh, where did you want to start? We talked about Borat, so let's start with Borat. Yeah. Um, very nice. What did you think of the trailer? Um, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. I'm, I I think that it's going to be a fun kind of ride to watch Sasha Baron Cohen sort of uh, poke fun of and deconstruct 
American politics right now. But I'm also nervous because like I I don't want this movie to feel like it's him just going back to the well, you know, so yeah. to speak. And that's like the one thing where it's like it worked really well the first time because he was basically unknown at that point. And the, and the trailer is kind of showing that like, you know, some people do recognize him now and they things like that. The meta narrative. Right. right. Yeah. But what made that first movie so unique was that he was able to kind of go, you know, incognito into situations and kind of, you know, interact with people in such a way that, you know, nobody really thought that he was, you know, an actor playing this part. And now you have, you know, a, a fan base, a cult fan base, if you will, for, for the character. So it, I, I'm, I am curious and I'm also curious to see like what, how far he'll push it this time around. But like the idea that he's trying to sell his daughter to, or give Mike. his daughter away to, to Mike. Mikhail <laughs> penis. <laughs> Is um, is very much on you know on point for Sasha Baron Cohen to kind of push the the envelope. The classic like stupid things of his daughter accidentally swallowing a baby a toy baby on the top of a cupcake, and then them going to a clinic and asking, like it's just so awful and but really really funny. And I don't know, I like the meta narrative of. Okay, everyone knows who Borat is, so let's play that into the movie, that the movie was a great success um, and that everyone knows who he is. Um, but then the funny thing about that to me is that finding people who don't know who Borat is is hilarious to me. And then you're kind of poking fun at those people and go, how the fuck do you not know who, you know, A, Sasha Baron Cohen is or B, Borat? And then so like there are you see things in the trailer where he is both playing the character or he's playing the character undercover. Um, and even then Which is the shoot a little bit, right? Like yeah. him dressing up as Trump or something like that. So or any you see a few times where he's wearing a, a disguise, much like in other shows he's done, yeah. um, where he's wearing disguises. So that when someone described the film as Sasha Baron Cohen playing Borat playing Sasha Baron Cohen is kind of accurate. Um, but then it's funny to me because you're just like, how do they keep finding people who don't understand that that's him like it's so obviously him and to me that's just playing into the you know kind of you know the the statement the first movie was making of like look at how absurd some of the you know things going on in the u.s are how people act or or things like that and they're finding people who still don't know who sasha baron cohen is or still play along with his shtick um and then kind of exposes some of the kind of you know whether they're the the absurdity or the stupidity or or the politics uh, of the United States I think is really interesting and then using this character that really they think is absurd and stupid but um using it to kind of point out how silly and absurd the United States is I think is really funny and how you do that in 2020 I think will be even more interesting cuz I know they're pitting they're plugging this as the first movie that was shot you know and released during COVID, although you brought up Host earlier, which technically I pro- I think was probably the first movie that was shot and released yeah. during COVID. But this was the first one that actually you know went out with a skeleton crew, um, shot on the streets and you know in other places. And and from everything I've heard and read, where you know that guy is a madman with what he'll do to kind of you know finish the gag. Um, 
Will will there be anything that tops the naked wrestling scene in the first movie? Like that, I remember watching that scene for the first time in a theater. And and again, this was a movie I saw. My my dad really loves Sasha Baron Cohen. And I remember watching, and we were just like laughing our asses off, like to the point where like I think like I was I felt like I broke a rib or something like that. It was so funny. And it's one of those things. It's like, I don't think you could ever top a scene like that. And how you'd get away with it anymore. Right? Yeah. Some of the things like, you know, with lots of things that are going on, you have two men who are exposing themselves essentially like in to many people, like in that, like in that elevator and in that, you know, the, the convention that's going on there. I'm like, how do you get away with some of that today? I'm going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. And if they, he does top it and even the subtle, not the subtle gag, but the gag in that naked fight of just blurring out Borat's penis. And it's the giant black bar right? <laughs> like on, on him is still, it's so stupid, but funny. And like, like you said, he's, he's one of the smartest comedians, I think working although, and I think some of the smartest comedians always you know, they go back to like the dumbest humor sometimes, but in the end they use dumb humor to make a smart statement on, on things. And I think there's a, a, a balance you can have there with, even though it's absurd and, and really dumb or really offensive, it still is doing something kind of intelligent and, and fun. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I agree with you that a lot of these times where, you know, there's these iconic or cult movies and they get a sequel you know, 15 years later, it doesn't always, you know, turn out super well. So, um, it, or it doesn't hold up. Um, but I mean, Borat might be a special case. So I, I'm excited. I'm, I've, I had to pull some strings to try and get, um, screeners for us. And, and I'm hoping that it works out because I'm excited to review this one. Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm eager for new content as well. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and will we get a Bruno too? If if uh, Borat too is successful, yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't remember Bruno that well because there's Borat was Bruno right after it, and then yeah, Bruno did- was 2008, yeah. and there are scenes in that movie that I actually like Bruno as well that push the limits even further than what Borat did, and there's also just a great moment of Bruno outside of a restaurant. Uh, cat calling Harrison Ford and right. Harrison Ford walks out of this restaurant as uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is, is playing Bruno and he's, you know, basically fuck off. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. He's sexually <laughs> harassing him and, and Harrison Ford's re- response is fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I remember that iconic, iconic. Um, <laughs> this can kind of go in to uh actually we'll go into this next trailer because i think both dune and the witches we can kind of talk about in the new segment um sound of metal uh a film that is on both eric and i's i think best films of the year list um finally got a trailer from amazon prime uh it's getting a theatrical release in november um and then well we'll, maybe well yeah sorry yeah supposedly getting a theatrical release in november and then we'll uh, subsequently get released on Amazon prime. Um, yeah, I, I, you guys can check out our review, uh, last, you'd have to go way back on untitled movie reviews, uh, to last year's TIFF, TIFF 2019. Cause Eric and I both saw it at that festival and, um, was a surprise hit of the festival. I think for both of us, um, I think it's an incredible movie. Uh, I, I thought a really solid trailer for it. Um, 
what you see in the trailer is similar to what you'll see in the movie where they have you know uh, the closed captioning or the uh, open captioning on the trailer which is also used in the film as both a you know accessibility um, thing and as a kind of a stylistic choice for the movie but uh, Riz Ahmed plays you know a, a metal drummer who who loses his hearing and um, just a great performance by Riz Ahmed and just a fantastic movie and um, I thought this trailer was a, a good representation of what the movie is yeah I agree as well I I think the movie is fantastic and it is one of those films that uh, it is a longer movie but I am really excited to see that film again because I remember watching it at, at um I think it was at the uh, uh in the IMAX, IMAX theater yeah. with you and afterwards just kind of being completely blown away by I mean not only the performance by Riz Ahmed which is uh, like he is a force to be reckoned with in this movie and I hope you know he's in the awards conversation with Delroy Lindo and uh Anthony Hopkins this year, but just the filmmaking as well, well as how just ambitious it is and how assured it is. The sound and, editing. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking that's very muscular and very sort of, you know, it, it, it plays to the beat of its own drum and that's the best way I can sum it up. Agreed. Um, getting into the news, let's go to the two things we just talked about. So, um, uh let's start with dune so the most recent uh news that just broke today as we were recording um dune news that broke right before recording instead of right after um dune is getting pushed from december of this year all the way till october of 2021 um which it's taking the batman's uh release date so that probably means the batman is either getting pushed till christmas or 2022 um there is a trailer for dune that dropped during the festival or right after it i think um something like that um a great trailer um i'm a huge dennis villanueva fan um so (laughs) i uh no i'm i'm pumped for dune and i think he's you know one of the best you know uh, blockbuster filmmakers going right now and i'm i'm super amped for for dune i really dug that first trailer um uh but, you know, I think it's a smart idea to punt it to next year. I'm not surprised at all by this. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised by it either, especially where we are right now with a, a second wave just kind of coming in. And I mean, at this point now, between October to December, all we really have left tentatively, and that's going to change probably as well, is Wonder Woman 1984. So once that movie gets delayed, which I think it will, um, it will be mostly just streaming releases for the calendar year of 2020. And that's also going to be fascinating to see how, you know, if anything changes in January and February awards wise, because what do the studios do, um, you know, coming up to the Oscars this year, because like, you know, you, you have so much content to look forward to now in 2021 and 2022. um, But like, is the award season going to be more or all streaming based nominees? Are we going to see um, something like, you know, never rarely, sometimes always, or first cow, maybe get into the best picture conversation or even something strange where like, you know, bad boys for life or, or something like that is, I don't want to say that that'll get a best picture nomination, but you know, stranger things have happened and look at this year in general. Right. So. 
Jim Carrey for supporting for Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, or Bill Burr, who you know is going to be Burr, on SNL. I mean, dude, for... he's, his Oscar campaign starting, dude. Yeah. That's exactly why he's hosting SNL. Um, because if you're Universal, I mean, this would be the year to do it, and um, I'd love to. You, you love to see it, but yeah. Do you think there's a chance that the Oscars just get canceled outright? You know what? I mean, I that's something I wouldn't be surprised by uh, either. I I think that that you know, given where we are now and what's being released, if the the Academy does not want a Netflix film to win Best Picture, they will cancel it. And I think that that like if you're looking at it now, like if you look at the films that are quote unquote awards contenders, both seen and unseen, you have movies like. You know the trial, of the Chicago Seven, and David yeah, Fincher's which Mank. we can talk about, but we we haven't reviewed yet. But yeah, very middle of the road uh, awards baity movie with did good you performance. Find, did you watch it? Yeah, yeah I did. Good okay. performances, not a great film. No, um, Should have stuck to the courtroom stuff, except the last. Oh God, that act. last ten minutes, dude. <laughs> the last act, yeah, yeah, and and I think both Eddie Redmayne and Franklin Jella aren't very good in the movie, but um, I'd agree. Yeah, so. And it, and it's gonna it kind of does suck though as well if the Academy does cancel the Oscars this year because like Netflix has all this stuff available and it's like oh well you know you could only contend if you were contending against you know everything else you know we can't yeah, accept you on I your mean, your own they, terms. I would guess that if it does get canceled, anything that was released this year would obviously still be eligible for next year, but. But I don't. Then there's think, so much that's going to be yeah, eligible for. I know. For I don't think year. that will happen. I think it will go ahead. Um, it'll just be a very weird year because I I can't see them just not giving out Best Picture and not doing an award ceremony. I mean, like the Emmys. I mean, mind you, a lot of the stuff at the Emmys already came out before, so like it wasn't really you know neutered because of it. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I I still think it happens. It'll just be I think like you said, dominated by you know netflix and amazon movies and you know a couple searchlight movies that you know if nomadland still uh comes out i think nomadland would be a one that you know disney puts out on vod if 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 they can't release it in theaters or don't want to yeah and Uh, i should also say soul is the other one that is still up in the air in terms of what's going on with that because out of all the disney stuff that was moved to next year soul is still um on the docket for november I think it comes out on Disney Plus. Yeah. Uh, it's I wouldn't be surprised. I think they do the Mulan thing where I don't know if it's $30, maybe it's $20 and they just I don't know, does that say Pixar movies are lesser than their live action stuff? I don't know. Maybe they I would say be- the opposite. I would say it might be even more expensive really? because it is a Pixar movie. Well, Pixar is a big name. I, I mean- agree, but like I then I think it would still just be 30 bucks. So, um yeah, I um I don't know. It's I think Soul drops on Disney Plus. I'm not sure, but it's gonna be it's weird, man. Um what else? What else? Moving over to oh, I guess let's just go into the witches. We don't really have to talk about it much, but it's um the witches uh is getting moved to HBO Max in the US. Uh trailer dropped. It's the Robert Zemeckis um uh remake. Uh, of the witches from 1990 the witches yeah the nicholas uh rogue film movie yep based on roald dahl's yeah story children's story yeah um i don't i don't think i've ever seen the witches i know people talk about it being traumatizing (laughs) as a kid um 
and moving to HBO Plus, not surprising. Uh, it's still supposedly getting a theatrical release internationally, including Canada. Which I don't buy. I like. I honestly think they'll probably make a pivot, at least in Canada, um, in the next week or so. But who knows? Uh, Robert Zemeckis needs to be stopped, Matt. And I'm going to be the one to uh, to do it. I'm going to take him out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not against. I had, The trailer I could barely get through. But, um, I mean, I'll, I'll review it. Because, again, uh, we need stuff to review. So... Yeah, uh, but after like the last seven movies he's made, like Welcome to Marwin Call, I remember watching that in the theater a couple days after Christmas and thinking to myself, one, why do I keep doing this? And two, why does Robert Zemeckis keep doing this? Because like he's clearly a shell of his former filmmaker self and his movies just go from bad to worse. I, I Beowulf is okay, but like everything that he has done since Castaway, for the most part, has been not great. No, it's or bad, yeah. straight up. Bad. Yeah, straight up bad. Yeah. Um, speaking of more release date shuffles, um, let's go into some Marvel news. So Disney moved around a bunch of their uh, Marvel films, specifically. They uh, punted Black Widow uh to may 7th 2021 which means it's uh more than a year after its intended release uh which means eternals uh which was going to be in february gets moved to next november on november 5th uh and then shang chi and the legend of the ten rings uh got moved gets moved from may because it originally got moved from february to may and now is getting moved from may to july uh 2021 which me this is interesting and then you have spider-man uh, far from home sequel which we'll talk about in a second uh g- scheduled for december of 2021 as well so a ton four marvel movies in one year um also interesting that that kind of switches release dates meaning that shang chi is now coming out before the eternals right do i have that right yeah so yeah Shang-Chi, and then also no. uh dr uh Doctor Strange, right? And the Multiverse of Madness. Is that also in 2021 or does that get moved? It has to get moved. Right. I don't know. Because it's just starting to shoot right now, right? Like that was a piece of news. It's starting to shoot at the end of this This month. fall. Like it's, I think, I think late October, early November. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, I guess, like to move having i guess the movies won't connect as much which is our prediction of you know phase four is that we're not going to have as much interconnectedness uh of a lot of them i mean we know that wandavision oh wandavision is another trailer that we probably could have talked about but we can talk about a little bit here but um yeah wandavision is supposed to connect to doctor strange and now with this news let's jump right into it with spider-man jamie fox is returning as Electro for the third Spider-Man movie, uh, which on paper makes absolutely no sense, but um, seems like there might be some multiverse stuff or Jamie Foxx also posted on Instagram saying, I won't be blue in this one, but is he the same character from that? And he's just not, I don't know. Well, you know, it's also, it actually is, 
it's a clever way if it is going to set up the Sinister Six because it's it's a it's a smart way to do a shorthand of that. So you can bring back actors from you know the other franchises and put them in the role without having to recast and, and create a new them. origin story within the context of the Tom Holland one. So you bring in, you know, Jamie Foxx's Electro, but maybe do a different spin on him, um, you know, from the Andrew Garfield series. You bring in Alfred Molina from, you know, the McGuire series and, you know, kind of assemble the crew that way and have one kind of leader who's kind of maybe the main villain kind of setting it all up behind the scenes or something like that, which I think is the most intriguing aspect of that. Because as soon as they announced Jamie Foxx coming back for the role, it basically kind of at least confirmed that they are going to be playing with the multiverse a little bit. So WandaVision, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man will probably be the most connected of them. But even Ant-Man might have some connections because of you know the, the casting of Jonathan Majors coming up, which we'll talk about. Yeah, which we can talk about now. We can just talk about all the Marvel stuff right now at the, the top yeah. of the news segment. So yeah, Jonathan Majors is playing Kang the Conqueror, who is going to be the villain in Ant-Man 3. And his history being he's a time traveler through, you know, um, I mean, obviously time travel was huge into Ant-Man storyline, both in the last two Avengers movies and uh, and things like that. So, um, yeah, uh, I, it's so interesting of, yeah, what angle they're going to take from, you know, phase four. And we haven't really even gotten started into phase four because this whole year we've been, you know, movies haven't really come out. And I'm just I'm fascinated to see where they go with all of this, because, yeah, I like your idea of the. Now, this kind of sets up and is starting to make more sense when it comes to Michael Keaton popping up in uh, the the Morbius movie trailer and like things like that. So what if it's not necessarily these characters are getting ripped in from other dimensions, but there are other versions of the villains in each of those universes and they're always played by... I guess that doesn't make sense because then you would have Harry Osborn still being played by James Franco. Cause what I'm thinking in my head here, Eric is what you said is like, maybe they're always played by the same actors. Like it's the same person, but they're different versions of the character, not necessarily the same character ripped from that movie and put into this movie. Right. Like it's a different, like the Michael Keaton we see in Morbius maybe is a different Michael Keaton vulture than we see in the Tom Holland one, but it's still, Michael Keaton is the vulture in each. Does that make sense? So like this, right? But you electro- could have Michael. You could have the same Michael Keaton vulture it, that that's in Spider-Man. You know, um, Homecoming. That's in this Morbius movie because maybe that's a connective tissue of bringing Morbius into MCU. Spider-Man Three, right? Yeah, or. And- and the same thing with the next Venom movie where they might bring Tom Holland in to do a cameo or something like that. It must it be multiverse stuff because you see the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man on, on the wall of uh, the Morbius movie, right? Like the graffiti wall. And unless that's an accident, but now it doesn't seem like it is. So my thing is that yeah, I was thinking that it's the same actor playing the villains in each universe. So say like if Vulture existed in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, it would be Michael Keaton, if that makes sense. Like, I wish it was Larry David. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm excited by the fact that, yeah, I, I like the idea of you bring back the people who – 
like Molina coming back as Doc Ock, I think, because he's perfect. I think he's perfect as Doc Ock, and I would just love to see him kind of come back and do that. I mean, Jamie Foxx, does he, his, that movie is terrible, and, and his version of Electro is terrible. Is that Jamie Foxx's fault? I don't know. I like Jamie Foxx as an actor, so uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I think he, he could do a good job if he has better material. Um, and yeah, and then Jonathan majors is awesome. So him coming in as Kang the conqueror, um, who could be like a big villain for the Avengers moving forward. Like he could be, I don't Thanos. know. He could be like, I don't know what they're, what angle they're going to take, but, um, I think majors is, is awesome. And, and seeing him come in for Ant-Man three makes me infinitely more excited for ant-man 3 now because before i probably couldn't care like i like paul rudd enough but ant-man 3 wasn't something that i was like clamoring for right could you imagine though if they brought in like topher grace as venom for spider-man 3 or or made some sort of like direct reference to that or the idea of bringing sandman back in or you know even willem defoe's green goblin to that's to the one that i don't i love willem dafoe as osborne and green goblin but i i can't see that happening because if they were going to introduce norman osborne to the mcu i feel like they would recast and have it someone who would consistently come back and be a big presence you if think that, chris cooper would play the role then no no maniacal laugh um because he played, because he yes, played an amazing uh, Norman Osborn, yeah. And yeah. since they are at least directly taking from that movie right now, um, you know, I, I could, I could even see uh, Risa Fawns coming back as Lizard, but it just depends what the lineup is for Sinister uh, the Sinister Six or Paul Giamatti as Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, I really do. When you brought up the Sinister Six thing, I think you're going to have a combo of villains from all of the Spider-Man movies. And that's kind of what I think they saw the success of Spider-Verse and, and kind of even Venom doing super well and, and things like that. And, and if, and I guess it gets Kevin Feige and, and the MCU's blessing in the sense of like, yeah, we've opened up this multiverse thing. So why not play with it a little bit? And I, I really do think with Raimi coming back to direct Dr. Strange, you have to have some tie-ins to his Spider-Man movies. Now, if you've already opened up, you know, Pandora's box of saying, okay, we're going to go into the amazing Spider-Man movies and pull out one of those actors that you have to go into the Raimi movies, whether it's Alfred Molina, or you have to have a scene with, you know, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man in Dr. Strange or something like that. Like, I feel like that might be like a given at this point, but which I think would be incredible. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and I agree with you with the Spider-Verse thing. I think like, Specifically, that movie has kind of, you know, opened this door now to kind of look at the Spider-Man legacy of films that we've had, because like, that's another thing. Like, I'm sure there'll be some sort of weird meta joke of how many times Uncle Ben has died in these different universes and like how many times or who's played him and like, what are the different versions of that storyline or, you know, how certain things play out. But, but even you look at what they're planning with um you know the announcement of a, a madam web movie right like she's another character Who that is known for multiverse first, yeah. right so like they could even be setting something up with that or you know craven the hunter kind of coming into play as well so well, my thing when you talked about sinister six of like who that six would be and i would say that you have 
Um, Vulture, you, I think you bring back Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. Oh, that'd um, be great. And because I, I think you know you could easily say you know it was an illusion, his death or whatever, right? Like that's that's a given. And then I think you have uh, or a different version of him, right? Like if it's yeah. a multiverse thing, you get him before he's killed. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm fascinated, dude, and I'm excited because I'm obviously Spider-Man's my favorite Marvel character, and just like it, it excites me to bring some of that history in from like those Spider-Man movies that you know uh, the. Raimi ones being iconic and the amazing Spider-Man ones being this weird anomaly. And then just like, you can even see them bring in, you know, I would love to see, I mean, I guess Catherine Hahn doesn't make sense because she's now in WandaVision. Um, Cause I would love to see her, you know, as her, Doc Ock. Yeah. As Doc Ock even too. Right. Like that would be wicked. Um, and maybe, you know, they're playing with multiverse stuff in, in WandaVision who knows, but like um, I think there's some really cool stuff that, could be done and like i think obviously the multiverse will play into the future of both you know the sony side of of the spider-man movies as well as you know the marvel stuff moving forward so um super excited uh like i'm just i'm i'm so eager for new mcu stuff that i just like i want wandavision so badly and i know we get mandalorian this month which is obviously star wars not marvel but like um really dug that wandavision trailer seems like it's going to be weird and i want to see what other stuff like and the evan peters thing of being in wandavision is so interesting to me too i'm like what the hell is that like right is like are you now going to bring in him as quicksilver into wandavision and i'm just like or maybe it's just going to be a quick like vision of her while she's going through the multiverse or of him and i'm like ah you guys are fucking with me and i'm like excited to see what it's gonna gonna be uh sticking with marvel uh we have some casting news um we have uh miss marvel has been cast so um iman valani who is from uh toronto or the gta she's from markham uh has been cast as ms marvel for the uh disney plus show um she is a uh part she was part of the tiff next wave committee a couple years ago i think in 2019 uh nevis actually interviewed her for their little zine that they did um uh there was a cute thing that they quoted on uh, the IGN article of like during that, where they asked her who would play you in a movie. She said, Iron Man, of course, and now her playing. And that was a question Nevis asked her, which I thought was really cool. So there's some connection there. Um, but uh, really cool, super excited for her, super excited to see what Miss Marvel uh, kind of is and, and see if we see Brie Larson pop up in that show. And um, I mean, Kamala Khan uh, recently in the Avengers video game that just came out was the lead character and people really loved her in that. So um, I think Kamala Khan will probably be a, a huge part of the MCU moving forward. And, you know, um, Iman being locked in and she's, you know, pretty young right now, a teenager, and, and she could be a huge part of the MCU for the foreseeable future. Because I know Peter Parker was really like, you know, the probably I guess the youngest character in the MCU when it comes to being a hero, but now it looks like Ms. Marvel would be that kind of moving forward. And maybe they're leading into young Avengers as well. Yeah. Tom Holland is now 40. So right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to get some young blood. That's no, it's really exciting. And I mean, we'll talk about it more as well with Tatiana Maslany, but yeah, it, is interesting, yeah. it is interesting that we have, you know, Simu both Lu. of these, 
Liu. Yeah, a lot of Canadian casting within the uh, the MCU as of late in, in major roles. Yeah, so Tatiana Maslany got cast as uh, She-Hulk for the Disney Plus series. And then, yeah, obviously Simu uh, Liu uh, is is uh, Shang-Chi. So, uh, yeah, all from you know Canada, a couple from Toronto specifically. Um, uh, actually, I don't know if Simu is from Toronto, but I just know of Kim's Convenience shooting in Toronto. But uh, a lot of, yeah, Canadian stars uh, getting scooped up for – uh, you know, MCU roles, which well, that's what the C uh, in the MCU stands for. So the Marvel Canadian yeah. Universe. Can't wait to see Eugene Levy pop up soon. You know? Oh God, that'd be amazing, <laughs> Mister Sinister. Uh, yeah, I love it, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I Tatiana Maslany's always been, you know, that person who's always shows up on those, you know, casting lists for uh, lead uh, roles in in big blockbusters, and it, she, especially she, for Star like, Wars. Yeah, it seemed like she was always like, you know, a runner up or something like that. So it's kind of cool to see her, um, you know, get a lead role. I mean, she's obviously very comfortable working on uh, television, being, you know, the star of Orphan Black for so long. And, um, and I, th- I'm excited to see what She Hulk is too. And and does Mark Ruffalo show up on that show? He'd probably have to, right? Even if it's like a cameo for the first episode or something like that. But or maybe that's how they use Ruffalo. Like I, I'm just these Disney Plus shows are so fascinating to me because I want to kind of see what the quality's like and see if you know five or six hours. Actually, we don't know that they could be half an hour episodes like Mandalorian, but. Um, I hope they're in the 40 to 50 minute range and then we get, you know, six episodes. I think each one of them are. So uh, will it be able to sustain, you know, entertainment throughout those bite size kind of chunks for six weeks in a row? Right. Well, she's going from orphan black to orphan green. So yeah. it's exciting. <laughs> and then uh, Sam Jackson is coming back to play Nick Fury in a Marvel uh, Disney plus show. So, uh, he just won't go away, but that's great. You know, Nick Fury will just be in the MCU. Never left. Never left. Um, I, I'm assuming this will be a, uh, a sword series. I'm assuming, which is the successor to shield, obviously, um, which we saw a tease of at the end of uh, far from home uh, where Nick Fury is up on the space station with the scrolls. So um, I'm, uh, I mean, good for him, you know, <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I mean, I think Sam Jackson is now going to kind of take the role that, like, Stan Lee took in these movies, where, like, it'll be, like, a quick cameo in in a lot of these films, and he'll kind of be now, like, the face of the MCU, where it's, like, he'll just, like, even in movies that he's not necessarily in, if they can find a place for him somewhere to kind of, like, pop up in an almost, like, an Alfred Hitchcock-esque cameo, he might be kind of that guy now, because... Like he's been with the series since the beginning or the end of Iron Man. So, you know, you, you might as well have somebody who's, you know, still with the series and, and, and what have you is be as, be in many of as many of them as possible, or at least connect as many of them as possible. So yeah, which was always kind of like, job, you know, right. Yeah. The go-to guy. Right. So, um, did I miss anything from Marvel or is that it? Did we cover everything? I think that's it. Yeah, there's a lot. So a lot of MCU news. Uh, we don't have any content, so why not talk about the future? A um, couple more release dates. Uh, Spiel- Spielberg's West Side Story uh, moves back a full year. Uh, so coming out, you know, Christmas 2021 now. Um, a-, a weird one popped up this week. Um, 
Barry Jenkins is going to direct the sequel to John Favreau's quote unquote live action um, Lion King movie. Uh, this one kind of came out of left field. I don't know if you were as surprised as I was, but yeah. Well, when you think of Barry Jenkins' career, you think of you know both Moonlight and you know if Beale Street could talk and films that are very much you know of the independent spirit. Um, this I have no idea what it's going to be or what it's going to look like. And, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, clamoring for another Lion King movie. Um, Are you more interested now than you were before? Sure. Because it's Barry Jenkins and like the guy, I mean, he's a great filmmaker and, and I think that it'll be interesting to see. It's probably one of those situations. We've talked about this so many times before where it's like a one for me, one for them kind of thing. It's Cause exactly he's working on a did, film yeah. at searchlight right now about a, a dance choreographer that he's been trying to get together for a little while now. So in the same way that like, you know, Taika Waititi kind of, you know, did Thor Ragnarok and then got Jojo rabbit off the ground. And now I could see that, that soccer movie for searchlight as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Next goal wins. So, yeah. Um, although I don't know if that's a one for him necessarily because Jojo rabbit was one of those movies that he like really wanted to do really wanted to make. Like that was a passion project of his. Um, so yeah, I, I mean like I'm, I'm curious. I don't know where you go with the story. Do you kind of like look at the direct to video sequels for inspiration or, or the, the Timon, Timon and Pumbaa one and a half or even the Timon and Pumbaa series. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like I, I'm obviously way more interested now than I was before. And, um, it seems like he's going to do something completely original with it from everything that I've, uh, I've read. Um, but yeah, the one for you, one for me thing, like I I'm totally cool with, and it's something I predicted way back when we were talking about Disney, you know, acquiring Fox and Fox searchlight. And I'm like, as long as Disney utilizes searchlight as that, you know, in still indie label where they give, you know, great filmmakers, the freedom to make them, you know, smaller movies that they really want to make and give them the freedom to do that without kind of, you know, pushing in there too much and, and take risks and chances and actually give a platform for those types of movies. I'm, I'm okay with, you know, them also going, listen, we'll give you, you know, a modest budget, to do whatever the fuck you want over at searchlight, but now choose one of our franchises that you're actually interested in. Don't just, don't just do it out of like, I feel like I have to. And hopefully it still comes from a place of, yes, I really love star Wars or I really love Marvel or I really love the original lion King. So I want to see how I can expand on that. Um, That's where I hope these filmmakers still, and it seems like, you know, Jenkins might be, you know, playing into it because obviously he's an employee of Disney now, but like it, I'm hoping he does have it, you know, a strong, uh, admiration for the original Lion King and wants to expand on that. And whatever you think about Favreau's, you know, remake, it's literally a remake. Rehash. Um, it's the same movie, right? Just worse. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm curious to see where he goes with it. Like some people were saying he, it seems like he's going to Godfather part two it, where it talk, it's going to explore Mufasa's origins as well or something too. So, um, so I he's going to get revenge on the original mafia Don that, 
uh, yeah. and killed his brother and his mother at the yeah, end of it. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Like, I, 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 I'm curious to see what he does, and it makes me infinitely more excited. And if we can get more filmmakers on the, you know, the level of Barry Jenkins and you know, and Taika Waititi and and other people making weird or interesting you know, studio blockbusters, I'm all for it. Like I'd rather someone with a distinct voice, like Barry Jenkins come in who hopefully can, you know, make the movie he wants to make, uh, make these things than you know, gun for hire who will just do exactly what Disney wants them to do. Right. And obviously Jenkins will still do what Disney wants him to do, but I hope they go, you know what? Lion King two is going to make money no matter what. So why not, let him make his movie and whatever he wants to do with it. Right. Yeah. Barry um, Jenkins is like, I want these lines to fuck. Yeah. You know, scar super gay had sex with a bunch of lions and let's tell a really impactful, like cool story. That's basically just moonlight. Um, I don't know. Like, I think he'll do something cool with it. Like, um, yeah, I just hope his signature doesn't get lost in, you know, the motion capture um, effects. And that is that is the one thing where, like, when you see, like, an interesting filmmaker join one of these, you know, big budget um, productions or franchises, you do also worry that, you know, their, their style or their vision might be engulfed by, um, you know, the, the – the machinery at work already because like Kevin Feige is the guy who's basically pulling the strings at Marvel, but they have been more open to the creativity of filmmakers recently. And, and I think that really kind of started with Iron Man three. So, you know, like I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, Disney has hired Barry Jenkins knowing that, you know, he, they've hired an artist and to let him do his thing you know, within the context of this this world that has been created. Because, you know, you think of the situations where it hasn't worked out and you look at, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller and like how yeah. a situation like that was awful. And, and you kind of think like, why did, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and hire JJ, yeah, hire them? Because it's like, well, what were you expecting? Like, this is the kind of movie that they were going to make. And they made it. It's just that it didn't work for you. So then you bring in Ron Howard's always going to be there in the wings, you know. And I hope that doesn't happen here. Like I I hope he's able to assemble his team. Like, do I want to hear Nicholas Bertel do the score to Lion King two? Absolutely. Is James Laxton going to come in and do the cinematography, (laughs) whatever cinematography is in in a, a fully digital film like this? Although some of the there was actual cinematography based on the locations, right? In the first film, I think so. Like part of it was actual landscape. And Augmented, stuff. yeah. Yeah, or something like that. But um, yeah, man, I hope we do get a Barry Jenkins film for Lion King 2, whatever that means. Like you're saying, I, authentically Barry Jenkins and not kind of Disney going, no, you just need to make a fun studio film. Or at the very least, we get a photo of Barry Jenkins post Lion King, you know, critical pan or praised of him on a stack of cash. Yeah, yeah, that's the other bonus. Yeah, get paid, man. Like, why not make that big money? Like, yeah, because just because he's he's an Oscar winning filmmaker now doesn't necessarily mean like he's well off and he still has to work. Like, that's the one thing that I I think that is kind of lost on like, you know people looking at the the industry, you know, you still have to work, right? And like not everybody 
who is a name filmmaker or even actor is millions of dollars, millions yeah. of dollars, right? Like, yeah, like he wouldn't have made that much on Moonlight or Beale Street. <laughs> like, no. he would have been well compensated, but like, you got to think, like, that's say he makes whatever i don't even think he'd make a million dollars on those movies. well i think he would i think um, at least a million oh yeah like he can he he can be like well you know i won an oscar for adapted screenplay and this or on those movies oh oh, those movies i mean for 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 lion king they're paying him a lot of money oh yeah lion king he's getting paid that's fine um i'm saying what he would have made on moonlight or beale street would have been yeah oh less than that yeah yeah and like that guy like if you think those are the only two movies he he's made in the last you know uh, before that, it was a ten-year gap, wasn't it? Yeah, and that, that that he probably made nothing on. And he did. So I mean, and you got to think like even if he makes a couple hundred grand, maybe even more off of back-end deals and different things like that. Um, if those are his only two jobs in the last however long, like that's not he's not just swimming in cash. I mean, he's he's doing well. He's probably doing other things and getting paid for different appearances and stuff like that. But yeah, get that money, man. Like get paid. Like you deserve it. So, I'm all for it. The people who are mad about it, I'm like, guys, it doesn't mean he's not going to make those other films that you you want to see. Like let right. the guy make a whole bunch of money and see what his Lion King movie is going to be. Like and again, if the if Fox Search, Searchlight becomes, "Hey, let's lure in great filmmakers." Uh, into the studio system by giving them something they're a little bit more familiar with, with your distinct voice, make the movie you want to make. Like look at Chloe Zhao with, with Nomad Land and the Eternals. That's exactly what's happening there as well. Like, so, and if we get more of that, where they get paid heavily doing a studio movie, and then we get interesting studio movies from distinct voices that also get to make quiet small poetic movies at searchlight like fucking awesome that's that's the best of both worlds why wouldn't you want that at least someone like me who is a fan of big blockbuster studio filmmaking as well as you know uh uh uh, filmmaker focused uh story driven uh vision driven you know dramas or whatever like um you get the best of both worlds and I don't see how that's not a win-win situation and great filmmakers get to make a shit ton of money. Like, I don't know. Like, I think like, I don't know where, what to complain about that. Like, I just don't get it. Um, people just, I don't know. They hate on Disney and things like that, which I get it. But But if they were in, in Barry's shoes, I'm sure they would do. Oh, they'd sell out in an instant. Fuck you. Each one of us would. So whatever. All right. Speed round. Cause we're getting to the two hour mark, although we haven't recorded in a while, so that's fine. I just need to have dinner. Uh, <laughs> uh, Soderbergh's new movie uh, has a gigantic cast. It changed its title as well. Eric, give us the deets. Do you remember? Uh, um, the new title is, uh, is it sudden and a sudden move or yeah, sudden? I got move? it. I got it. Um, it's no sudden move. And uh, we, so John, Don Cheadle and John Hamm, are in it, but they also added Benicio del Toro, David Harbour, uh, Kieran Culkin, Julia Fox, Ray Liotta, Brendan Fraser, Bill Duke, Frankie Shaw, Noah Jupe, Amy Simitz, uh, uh, and that means Josh Brolin, Sebastian Stan, and George Clooney did drop out of the movie. Um, yes. and it, you said its original title was Kill Switch. It was, and it's a 1950s heist movie where things go horribly, horribly wrong and sort of the fallout of that. And it's it's interesting as well because you have both 
Don Cheadle and Benicio uh, reuniting uh, with Soderbergh after having made Traffic. So that's a interesting that's combo. Too, and then, yeah. yeah, and then Bill Duke more recently with High Flying Bird. So um, it's it's a great cast, and and uh, I mean. Soderbergh as well, having worked with Amy Simons on uh, the Girlfriend Experience TV series, and he was also quite a, a an adamant supporter of uh, She Dies Tomorrow. So it's a really it's a solid cast, even though it is disappointing that some of those other actors had to drop out because of you know scheduling conflicts and due to you know COVID and what have you, because it was supposed to shoot earlier this year. Um, but I think overall, it's it's. And, you know, like Soderbergh's one of those guys that's hit or miss, but I'm always weirdly excited to see what he's doing. And I'm always happy that he's making movies. Same. And I'm really excited that he attracts casts like that, that he does that are very eclectic in nature, where you have some really big name stars and then you have up and coming indie actors from the last couple of years. And then you have, you know, classic character actors and veterans. So Brendan Fraser. <laughs> And Brendan Fraser. Um, so it's 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 a it's a nice kind of melding of of actors in in that group. So um yeah, I'm always up for a Soderbergh movie. Yeah, same man. I'm I'm pumped for it. HBO Max, which you know makes yeah. sense. He's he's done some stuff with Netflix recently and and now moving over to you know back to Warner Brothers, who he's worked with in the past, and then um but the movie's coming out on HBO Max. Um Moving on, we got uh, the next thing I have is Vin Diesel debuts new dance song. Um, oh God, what a day that was! I woke up to that news and I was like, I have to listen to this immediately. Um, I think it's called "Like I Do" or something like that. Um, Eric, how many times have you listened to it? Uh, only seven. Unfortunately. That clip of um, Kelly Clarkson's audience, like this dystopian te- floating heads on TVs listening to Vin Diesel's new single, was the weirdest thing, man. It's so strange. We're living in Black Mirror. Matt, this is the world we deserve. <laughs> you know what? 2020, throw something else at us. I don't know. Vin Diesel hit new single wasn't what I was expecting, but uh, fuck it. Why not? Um, you know what? I actually, to be quite honest, I thought it would be worse. Like when I listened to the song, I thought it was going to be worse. And it's it's totally. Well, it could be Jeremy Renner, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Suicide Squad duo Idris Elba and John Cena are teaming up for a 90s style action movie called Head of State. Um, I'm, I'm down. Why not? I, will this continue the trend of Idris Elba? great actor horrible movie in shitty uh, movies yeah uh we'll see but whenever someone says 90s style action movie i'm in i don't know we'll see i'll give it a shot right um don't have much else to say uh speed neither round. do i uh i'm gonna skip some of this stuff uh speaking in the marvel and tom holland territory uh cherry which is the russo brothers next movie starring tom holland uh, got picked up by Apple TV Plus and it's going to debut early next year. Um, rumors are that they all push it for you know awards by releasing it you know before that February deadline. Um, so I'm curious to see what the Russo brothers do after you know making gigantic, huge movies with the Avengers movies. So um, more of you know a, a hard drama. It seems like I don't know much about Cherry. I know it's kind of like uh, a guy hard on down on the outs kind of uh 
robbing banks or something, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I hope it's better than um, Extraction, but I yeah, hope that they have yeah. a character as great uh, a name as Tyler Rake. <laughs> Tyler Rake. Uh, Oscar Isaac and Jake Gyllenhaal are going to star in uh, a making of the Godfather movie. Uh, so Oscar Isaac's playing Francis Ford Coppola. Which is weird because a lot of people made the comment that he'd be amazing as Al Pacino. And he kind of looks like a young Al Pacino, Oscar Isaac. And and I, I think he could pull that off. But to be honest, the, I, I love The Godfather and and, and The Godfather Never seen Part 2. I did that out the other day. God, Matt. Um, but it's this is a movie I have no interest in, like absolutely none. And and Barry Levinson's a filmmaker that, right? Like right. he's he's been doing HBO TV movies now for the last you know five ten years. And so why would any why should anyone be excited for a Barry Levinson? Yeah, movie? yeah. With the exception of the two leads, I mean that's that's basically it. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I really do need to watch the Godfather movies, but. At this point, I sh- should I just wait till a 4K or something? Or um, they're doing that re-release of the third movie, re-edited, right? Like, in yeah. December. Oh man, oh, God, that movie bad, is right? Terrible. Is it? Not, yeah. oh, you know, it's not terrible. I shouldn't say that. There are things in that movie that are good. Are you curious um, about this recut? Yeah, I mean, just as just as a film fan, but I mean, when you compare part three to part one and two, there's no comparison. There's really it's it's not even a, a competition, and you know, like Sofia Coppola being cast last minute, taking over Winona Ryder's role, is not only you know nepotism, but like she's awful in that movie. Um, and like the overall storyline is a bit of an anticlimax. It was, it, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It reminded me a little bit more recently of, you know, star Wars episode nine, where it's like, there's this amazing buildup and you're so excited because you're at the end of something and you've been waiting for it for a long time. And you're like, Oh my God, like this is, this is it. And then where it ends, it's, it's a little bit of um, a letdown. And that's what kind of Godfather part three is where it's like, it was so exciting in the moment that it was, you know, announced and and that movie kind of concluding, you know, this trilogy of films and it came out the same year as Goodfellas. Um, That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, again, night and day in terms of, you know, filmmaking and, and Coppola Coppola at that time in his career was kind of like, Weirdly, he still got a directing Oscar nomination for that film and stuff like that. But like, did it get a that, Best Picture nomination too? It sure did. It sure did. And Andy Garcia got nominated for supporting actor. So um, was that just out of name, probably just because I another... think so. But Garcia is actually not bad in the movie. Um, or not Garcia, but even Godfather getting because it was Godfather three. Is that why it got a Best Picture? Yeah, and it's like um, one of the the few film series that has that prestigious quality because of godfather winning you know best picture or godfather part two winning best picture as well so you know like it, it had that quality of like okay we want to you know continue to oh wow so it was made in 1990 and yeah oh wow so it's like like 16 years after godfather part two yep wow i didn't know that yeah and um it was a movie that so many people were excited about and then when you see it it's just like oh Okay. 
Well, my first viewing of Godfather Part Three will be this re-edit. <laughs> so you should see the original version just to suffer like the rest of us. No, man. I'm watching this new version first because the new version could be terrible too. Well, I can't. Like Coppola, Coppola is one of those guys that's adopted new technology weirdly in the same way that like Soderbergh has. Because I remember with, with Twix, Twix when it came out, he was it. doing the re-edits, like live edit of it. Yeah, like, I remember that playing Tiff, and I had a ticket to it, and I skipped it. I don't know why um it it's was terrible real, yeah i heard it was real bad but like did you see it at the festival i, I did when I he did. live edited it yep it was one of the worst i mean it was a fascinating experience i shouldn't say worse it was just a bad movie like, how did that even work so it was just he literally edited the movie as it was so going. he was he was on like an ipad and on like a tablet and as the movie was going you know, like people, like he would try to gauge the room and see like how people were reacting to it. And then like, he would kind of like be flipping through scenes. So it was like, almost like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. <laughs> so weird, man. And the way that like the fades, like the way that he would insert a scene, like after like a fade or, you know, like a transition, like it, it was, it was so weird. And then watching the, the theatrical and Blu-ray release, it's such a dumb movie because basically what Twixt is, is like a Stephen King-esque writer played by Val Kilmer is having writer's block and he's talking to not only the characters he's trying to create for his new story, but like people like Edgar Allan Poe. And then, spoiler alert, the end, he gets attacked by vampires and that's how the movie ends. Yeah, I remember there's something to do with vampires, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Do you think he'll, is he fully retired now? Is that his last movie? Trying to get, um, I think it was like Megatropolis made, and he's been trying to do that for the last, I think, 10, 11 years now, and trying to get funding for it. Because, I mean, most of his independent stuff that he's made since Tetro and Youth Without Youth um, has been funded mostly through, you know, independent resources like his vineyard and things like that so his wine surprisingly good everybody i'm not right right but yeah i mean there coppola there was a time when when francis ford coppola was one of the greatest filmmakers ever and that was between you know 74 to 1980 when he was making the the two godfather movies apocalypse now and the conversation and i know a lot of people really do love um one from the heart, which was kind of his movie musical. That was also his downfall for the most part. I think the best movie outside of his, you know, stint or his run in the seventies is the Bram Stoker Dracula adaptation, which I think is actually really quite good. Yeah, I have that in 4k. Maybe I'll watch that since it's uh, spooky October. Um, the last thing of his, I probably have seen is Jack with Robin Williams. Oh my God. Yeah. He directed that too. Oh, what a weird movie! Bill Cosby and and Robin Williams, so strange. Um, remember what? that being so gross too? Do you remember that scene where they they eat that stuff that they put in like a a bucket and there's like toothpaste and yeah, warm and I don't stuff remember. Like I, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but um, that's funny. Maybe I'll watch The Godfather this weekend. We'll see. Um, I I feel like because it's should. so scary. And I or yeah, I'm in a halloween mood um uh happy early birthday eric um by the time this releases you will be almost uh 30 yeah. 30 33 or two 32. 32 oh yeah we're only a couple months apart because you're uh, october i'm february so i'm 32 yeah. in february so 
um happy early birthday we're gonna get together and uh watch some some spooky movies are you gonna reveal what we're watching or no or is it a surprise um well i'll, I'll reveal one we're gonna watch david cronenberg's the fly because you've never seen it yeah. um yeah well all the movies that i'm gonna be recommending i don't think you you've seen because so. i'm trash but um well, no I've, it's not that i've seen more brandon cronenberg movies now than i've seen cronenberg movies. i know that's Which, well no that might not be that's true. not true it's not true no. um uh but it's close. <laughs> um, uh, go check out our review of Possessor, which you guys can listen to over on Untitled Movie Reviews, as well as you know a, a buttload of other reviews. Uh, we'll got we're still covering uh, a ton of stuff uh, into October. Um, still lots of stuff coming out on streaming and different platforms. So go uh, go subscribe to Untitled Movie Reviews for all of our reviews. Uh, we're also yeah, <laughs> Who Be Halloween comes out on Wednesday. I thought it was Friday, but it's Wednesday, so it will be available on Thursday. That's going to be one of the spooky movies we watch. Oh, um, no, we, I won't. I won't subject uh, you to that on your birthday. Maybe we'll just both watch it on Wednesday uh, or something. Um, Got to get that review out, baby. Uh, untitled movie conversations uh please go subscribe to that as well uh if you have a couple seconds we'd love for you guys to drop a review uh of any of those trilogy uh any of the trilogy or what how am i trying to say the trilogy of podcasts drop a review to one of them if you have a second it really helps or all three would really help uh you can follow us on all of those social medias at untitled underscore cast and as always my name is matt rohrbeck you can follow more of my work around the internet uh mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and on all of those social medias at matt rohrbeck and I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. And I'm on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Happy Halloween.